Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Runner goes from first, and Pinto swings and misses. What a job by Montgomery, the strikeout of Pinto, to get out of the inning. And he struck him out with an off-speed curve away. What a performance by Jordan Montgomery, one of the most important parts of this Texas Rangers season. That's what it sounded like last night on ESPN as Jordan Montgomery, the former Cardinal, goes out there and absolutely shoves for the Texas Rangers. Game one of the wild card series goes their way against the Tampa Bay Rays. They win that one four to nothing. And the headliner there was Jordan Montgomery. Seven innings, six hits allowed, five strikeouts, just absolutely dominant in his performance against a really good Tampa Bay Rays lineup. We think of them as being this pitch first team, right? That's not necessarily what they've been the majority of this year. They do have good arms, but their offense was for most of the season, the second best in the sport behind only the Atlanta Braves. So yesterday, Ken Rosenthal was on with foul territory and he was asked about what Jordan Montgomery is going to get going into the offseason. I think the price from this, this is prior to the game yesterday, might have just gone up. Should he be looking at a contract that's, Similar to Rodon? Well, some of the stats line up similarly. And Jordan Montgomery is entering free agency a year older than Rodon was. And the stats I'm talking about, not strikeout rate. Rodon better in that regard. Montgomery actually below average in terms of strikeouts. But when you look at ERA plus, the adjusted ERA to the ballpark in the league, they're comparable. And a comparable number of innings, again, as two of them entered free agency. You have to look at it from that lens. I don't know that he'll get what Rodon got. But will he be over $100 million? I expect that he will. That is what Ken Rosenthal had to say. I think he's right. I think when you look at what he has put together since the start of the 2021 season, he's been one of the four best starting pitchers that are going to be on the market this offseason. I think you're looking at Blake Snell and Aaron Nola at the top of this market. And I'm talking about just the guys that have previously played in Major League Baseball. You can add Yamamoto into that mix if you want to talk about guys coming over from Japan. Other than that, I think the next tier of starters on this year's market are Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery. And this is where I want to bring the Cardinals into the conversation. Because T-Bone, I think the Cardinals need a change. I think they need to go into next year with something that is different than what they had previously. And all of that being said, I keep coming back to the idea of, okay, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Sonny Gray as your number two starter going into next year? Like three years and 20 mil per or Jordan Montgomery at a five-year, $20 million per year salary, who you just had, but is not attached to a qualifying offer. And so you get to keep a draft pick that if you signed Sonny Gray, you would not be able to retain. This is a team that's going to be picking in the top five or seven for the first time in decades here in St. Louis. 
I think that's going to be one of the more compelling offseason decisions that the Cardinals have to run through in their own mind. They got to get somebody from that top tier. We all agree with that. But the number two starter, if they decide to go the free agent route for that player, I do wonder if they consider revisiting the Jordan Montgomery reunion. Yeah, and I I think when you look at the Jordan Montgomery discussion, because I have been someone that said they need change for change. And that's why, like, when you first raised that question, I would say, oh, Sonny Gray, three years, one short-term deal on any pitcher, the more the merrier. Um, But I I think when you look at Montgomery, the conversation the Cardinals are going to have to ask is, Montgomery wasn't the issue this year for the Cardinals. He was not broken here in St. Louis. He was a really good pitcher for the Cardinals when he was here. Him, Michaelis, and Matt, if you have those three and then you just upgrade over Jack Flaherty and upgrade over Adam Wainwright, are you a playoff team? And that's the question they've got to ask themselves because if Montgomery is your two, you go out and sign Nola as your one, and then you find that guy and this is just a placeholder, James Paxton is your five, are you a playoff rotation? And that's the question they're going to have to ask themselves because I don't know if you can – we've talked about this. I don't know if you can upgrade from what Jordan Montgomery was this year. That's a that's a tough task because of what you said. He is on that second tier, and then you start getting into that conversation. Is Sonny Gray better than Montgomery? Is so-and-so He's better different. than Montgomery? He's different, but both have pretty similar numbers. Yep. So I would say because there's that draft pick attached to Sonny Gray in that kind of hypothetical scenario, I think the target would be Jordan Montgomery because of where the Cardinals are drafting this year. They do not want to lose a high draft pick. And don't forget, and this is going to be a thing that plays into their offseason decision-making too, is they lost a draft pick last year in the signing of Wills Contreras. Now, that was a later pick, but were they going to be willing to lose a high-end draft pick? I don't think they are. I I think they're going to be hesitant to do it once again, and maybe they will for an Aaron Nola, but I don't know if they want to do that for a Sonny Gray. So teams put a monetary value on all of these picks. They say, okay, second-round pick at number 35 overall is worth $7 million. I'm just making up that money, right, in terms of future value. So they would basically be saying, is it worth it for us to add that $7 million essentially on top of the contract that we're already paying to Sonny Gray? And is that worth more than just going out and getting the guy that we all know? I think you said something really interesting there, T-Bone. Part of what you said there was Jordan Montgomery was really good here in St. Louis. I think this has somehow become like a controversial take that Jordan Montgomery was an excellent pitcher for the Cardinals. And when he was here, he was also really, really good. This is something that some people are like suggesting. Hey, he went over to Texas and they fixed him. The guy had a 3-4 ERA and 21 starts over 122 innings here in St. Louis. He was not a bad starter. In fact, he was excellent. That's why the Rangers were willing to give up TK Roby and Thomas Ajaci to be able to acquire Jordan Montgomery. They knew what he was here. They wanted that in the front end of their rotation there. Jordan Montgomery, if he decided to come back, would not be shocking to me. Now, I think he's going to have a ton of offers and he may just say, you know what? It's ready. It's time for me to go out and experience something new. I want to go out to a place that I chose for the first time in my career. He was selected in the draft by the New York Yankees. They said, ah, not good enough. We don't want you as a part of our rotation as they were in contention. And so he was traded here to St. Louis where we were just starved for pitching and he ended up being great here. Things obviously went awry this year. They say, "Mm, shipping you down to Texas, where you're going to be reunited with a uh, former pitching coach. Now, for the first time in his career, he gets to choose where he wants to live. His wife is also right now going through residency. 
I think she's up in New York. I can't remember exactly where she's at currently, but that may have something to do with where he decides to go. Maybe they decide together, hey, let's go to Seattle or San Francisco or somewhere else. Like they can choose that together and it may have very little to do specifically with his fit on the baseball team. It could have to do with what they want lifestyle wise. So there's a lot that goes into these decisions, but if you were just talking about it from a pure baseball perspective, from the Cardinals angle, I think it may come down to Jordan Montgomery versus Sonny Gray versus Shota Imanaga. Those are the three guys in that second tier of the pitching lane that I think they're going to be uh, choosing between going into this offseason. Yeah, and I think because we're talking about those guys as like the number two, I think it's gonna ha- that's going to become second fiddle to what happens at number one. Because if they do sign Aaron Nola, they're going to be burning a draft pick. And I don't think they want to lose two draft picks and go sign a Sonny Gray, if that makes sense. Because then you're giving up two draft picks that are high in the draft for you to go out and sign guys on qualifying offers. And it's, the equation may change based on what you do with that number one guy. If you sign Blake, or excuse me, Aaron Nola, lose that comp pick because of the uh, qualifying offer that's attached to him, you can probably just mark off Sonny Gray. And then it does become a conversation of Imanaga versus Jordan Montgomery. Yep. And we've seen the Cardinals in the past they like to go based off of familiarity. So I would say that they would probably target Jordan Montgomery and try to bring him back to St. Louis because we saw with the Miles Michaels for Jordan Montgomery conversation in the uh, spring training, who would you sign to a contract extension? They basically banked on the side of, we know Miles Michaels better than we know Jordan Montgomery. And you can say that's right or wrong, and right now it looks wrong, um, but they may do that again this year in the offseason. Okay, we've scouted Imanaga. We've scouted Sonny Gray. We've seen Sonny Gray who pitches in the postseason tonight. We'll see him on the biggest stage. But we know Jordan Montgomery pretty well. Can we lure him back to St. Louis? And again, I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea for the Cardinals because he was not a part of the problem. The problem was you didn't have your one and Jack Flaherty live up to expectations. And Adam Wainwright, even though he had expectations of a five, didn't live up anywhere close to being a number five starter for you this year. So I think you're right. It comes down to those three. I think Gray's name gets crossed off immediately, though, if they lose one of those picks because if they sign a number one in Nola or Snell, to who's on a qualifying offer more than likely. So we're getting a lot of texts that are something to the effect of, guys, the Texas Rangers allowed him to go deeper into games, and that's why he's going to want to go to a team that is a little bit more old school than what he was here in St. Louis. T-Bone, this is... It's just not true. Like, I don't know how else to say it. If you look back at his top 11 games this year in terms of pitches. So when he threw more than 95 pitches in a game of those 11 games in which he did this, nine of them happened here in St. Louis. Nine. Now, if you're looking purely at innings, yeah, he he did get a little deeper once he went down to Texas. And maybe that is a tweak that they decided to go with that didn't happen here. Four of the five, four of the six times that he went at least seven innings this year happened after he was traded to Texas. I think some of that also might just be he was there with them during the a potential race for the division. And so you're going to push your starters a little bit more. The Cardinals have done this in the past as well. We've seen it with Ollie even in charge. But I I don't think this is a scenario where he just suddenly went to a new team and they were using him like crazy in a way that they weren't here in St. Louis. He was more efficient. He was more efficient once he got down to Texas. I don't know why that was. There was a little bit of a change in terms of the usage of his pitches. Maybe that had something to do with it. They unlocked something that he lost earlier this season. But again, that is not to suggest that he was bad here in St. Louis. He was really damn good. He pitched like a legit number two or three starter in a playoff contenders rotation. And that's what he's been since going back down to Texas as well. The other thing that I wanted to get to coming off of day one in the Major League Baseball playoffs, T-Bone, 
is what we saw last night in Pablo Lopez. I heard something yesterday as I was watching MLB tonight that I think connects with what the Cardinals are going to be looking for going into this offseason. He did what I think they were out there looking for. Can we get a guy in Pablo Lopez to be the number one guy to go out there and win game one of a playoff series? And the answer tonight was yes. And, and what Bill's talking about, that's why you trade Luis Arise. Right. What? You traded Arise? Right, back yeah, for this. You prayed him for this. That's why I thought this may have been the biggest move in the winter. Of all the teams across the board, you got a young, healthy pitcher who was pr- proven to be a winner. If the Cardinals decide not to go into that second tier of pitcher this offseason, if they decide, you know what, we're not going to sign Sonny Gray because of the draft pick. We're not going to sign Jordan Montgomery because we want something new. We're not going to go out and give 20 to 25 mil a year to Imanaga because we just don't think that he's worth that. The answer is probably then going to be they're going to go to the trade market and they're going to find somebody that is their version of Pablo Lopez. We're going to go find a guy that we think could be the the number two starter that we've been craving. And it's going to cost a whole hell of a lot. We get it a lot. Hey, guys, why do you keep talking about Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan or Lars Newbar? Those are guys that should be here long term for the Cardinals. And the answer is because that's what it takes to go get a guy like Pablo Lopez. You have to trade something of significance. For the Minnesota Twins, the answer was trading Luis Arise, who won the batting title this year. That might be the type of thing that you have to do to get your version of that player. It's going to cost you a lot. It's going to hurt. But if he does for you what Pablo Lopez just did for the Twins, where he won their first playoff game in 18 years, it'll all be worth it for you in the end. Then it just comes down to finding the right guy that can perform the way that Pablo Lopez did this year. Yeah, and I I think the guy that's kind of comparable to the piece that you would move on from that would sting, but you hope you get a win-win in the trade like what the Twins did with the Lopez-Arise deal is probably Brendan Donovan or Lars Newport, one of those two, because they're a guy that hits for average, gets on base, and has like 10 to 15 home run power. And it's a piece that you don't want to move on from. But you're hoping that when you do move on from it, I think you said this yesterday, you're hoping it becomes a win-win trade to where, sure, you gave a piece that you needed, but you acquired a piece that you desperately need. And I think they're going to have to explore that kind of market. I know they keep saying, or at least reports keep saying that, you know, the list of guys that's untouchable is a long laundry list. I think they're going to have to come up and say, okay, we can't sign three starting pitchers. We do need to still add three. Instead of going for trading for that number four or number five starter, Let's just go big. Let's go big. Let's go get somebody that is on the market. Maybe it is a Dylan Cease. Maybe a Seattle Mariners pitcher comes available. Maybe a Miami Marlins pitcher becomes available. And you say, can we pull one Jenga piece out and this thing doesn't fall over? And I think it can. If you start pulling two, three pieces away, that's when I think it becomes a major issue. It's just a matter of they can't be scared to make that trade like it feels like they have been in the past because they're afraid they'll lose it and they've got to pick the right piece. And I think one of the pieces they're probably going to pick would probably be Brendan Donovan would be that guy. By the way, the closest comparison, if you're just looking numbers wise to what Pablo Lopez is in terms of the innings, the ERA, all that stuff, it is probably Dylan Cease from the Chicago White Sox. They both had a little bit of an injury history in their past. When they are healthy, though, they have been highly effective. And it just comes down to are you willing to meet that price? For Pablo Lopez, that price was giving up a guy that hit 300 in his career so far up in Minnesota and had won a batting title the previous year. He led the league in hits. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go ahead and meet the asking price for a guy like a Dylan Cease in order to avoid paying the freight 
on the open market free agency wise. That's what the Cardinals have to decide going into this offseason. Plenty of decisions still to come. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to NFL quick hitters. If you guys want to get involved in the show, you can do so via the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. You can also watch us live on YouTube as you can each and every day. Many of you chose to do it that way yesterday. The studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. We're hoping to be joined by Alex Ferrario in the next segment. He is at home today with the kiddo. Uh, we are hoping that he will be able to connect in the next one. We will see if that ends up being the case. Our understanding is that it sounds like the connection is a little bit better right now. I know many of you are asking about my well-being. I appreciate you doing so. I'm doing fine for the most part today. Uh, let's be honest. They were hoping you're going to say, I'm so sore. I, uh, I've got a little bit of a tummy ache. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm a little sore. I can. I got home yesterday, and as I was holding baby Luca, I could feel like the reverberation still taking place inside of my core muscles. Feels, um, feels it, like an uncomfortable feeling. It felt like I was, when you go on a boat and you leave, you get back onto land after you've been on the boat all day long, sometimes you still feel like you're swaying at sea. I felt that way yesterday, but with electromagnetic shocks going through my stomach. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a new experience for me. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into the Blues. There was a report today as to which players were on the ice. They were separated into two different groups. I think this report tells us which defensemen they're going to go with. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You have guys who are have to go through waivers who you don't want to lose, like a Scott Prinovich, like a Tyler Tucker. And then, oh, by the way, you have a Kylie Rosen who, outside of maybe Justin Falk, uh, was the best defenseman on the team last year in a limited number of games, just under 50 games. And so, you know, how do you say that you're going to put him through waivers and send him to Springfield was when he was better, one of your better guys? You know, I think the odd guy out has to be because of the situation the Blues are in, contracts, retool, so on and so forth, Gandela or Rosen. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us just a couple of days ago talking about which defenseman could be on the outside looking in for the roster heading into the 2023 season alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex able to join us from home. Alex, I, I think I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. I, I always believed that the most likely route for the Blues to take when it came to the defensive core was just sending Rosen through waivers, playing the waivers game. And if he gets picked up, so be it by another team, because then you get to keep your young potential cost controlled players uh, and I just think they're playing the asset game right now. I think they're not all in on 2023. They're trying to both build for the now, but mostly also for the future. Yes, or earlier today, Luke Horak tweeted out that Callie Rosen is on the ice with the first group, which also includes most of the other players that you would anticipate getting cut at the next uh, cut down date. What did you make of this? Do you think that this suggests that Callie Rosen is going to be the one on the outside looking in? Yeah, I, I'll fess up to this one because I was wrong, BK. I, I really thought that they were going to try and play the waiver game in terms of keeping Callie Rosen and try and sneak through Tyler Tucker through waivers because a, a seventh-round draft pick, you would assume you could probably sneak him through and get him to Springfield and call him up when injuries happen. 
But I was looking at it wrong in terms of the roles, and we've talked about this in terms of all three guys play different roles, Bortuzzo being one of those fringe players, and then Tucker and, and Rosen. And if you look at it, Callie Rosen plays a lot like Krug and Letty and Perunovic and Falk. Like the, he's a offensive-minded defenseman, hence the eight goals and the plus 19 that he put up last season for the Blues. And Tyler Tucker is more of the stay-at-home defenseman, the physical presence, and a guy who will defend the front of the net. And what does this team need a lot more of? Guys like Tyler Tucker. So when you think of the third pair, if Letty Krug and Perunovic are all in the lineup, well, then what does that do on the right side? Well, that gives you Bortuzzo, Scandella, and Tyler Tucker. And the way that I would imagine the Blues are looking at this is if we lose one of Kruger, Falk on the left side, well, now we've got Perunovic to play that role. Whereas if you lose a Bortuzzo or a Scandella, Callie Rosen can't fill that role in terms of the penalty killer. Now, maybe you could still sneak Callie Rosen through, um, but this makes a little bit more sense now that I'm kind of seeing the clearer picture of what the Blues are looking for. It comes down to roles, and Tyler Tucker is a lot more of a necessity to the Blues this season than Callie Rosen will be. Yeah, I... I've always just felt like when you look at the way that the Blues are constructed, they want to find out what they've got in Perunovic. That that one, I we 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 always agreed on this, Alex. There there was no reason to send Perunovic through waivers because you were very likely going to lose him. And right. then I think they want to find out what Tucker is. I think he has the potential to be a long term replacement for Robert Bortuzzo in that sixth slash seventh defenseman role, where you're just expecting a lot of physicality and the ability to play on the penalty kill. So really, it came down to a question of Nick Letty, Scandella, and Callie Rosen. They yeah. like Scandella for that role on the PK. Let's be honest, they were never going to send Nick Letty through waivers. Right or wrong, they were never going to do it with multiple years left on that contract. And so by the process of elimination, it was just like, okay, well, I know we all like Callie Rosen, and I think he can be a really solid defenseman, but he doesn't have a spot here right now in terms of being in the top six. And I don't think long term he's going to be a piece of what they're trying to build. So he's the guy that unfortunately has to be on the outside looking in on the forward side of things. Alex, Lou Korak also tweeted out who was on the ice earlier today. It was basically every single forward that's fighting for that 13th <laughs> spot. What what are you anticipating in terms of the competition for that spot right now? Do you think anybody has like the, the the grasp on that spot on the roster? I mean, I, I think two guys have upper hands on each other. One is Nikita Alexandrov because he's a natural centerman. He was a second-round draft pick. That's an upper hand over the other players. And Mackenzie McEachern has an upper hand over the other two because he's got a two-year contract, which is the one-way deal. So you're paying him the same salary, NHL or AHL. I, I, I don't know if there's one or the other right now. I truly view this as... All three, that group that Lou listed that was practicing in a thin group, yep. all of those guys I expect are going to play tomorrow against Dallas on the road. It's going to be the final hurrah for all of those guys to prove, hey, one last shot if you're Callie Rosen, if you're Malcolm Subban, if you're Walker, McEachern, or Alexandrov, to prove that you could be on this NHL roster for opening night. And then they'll make the final cut. Saturday will be that NHL opening night look at what the roster could be. I would lean more towards Alexandrov because he provides something that all of those other guys don't. And frankly, if you lose one of Shem, Thomas, Hayes, or Sunquist, you don't have any other centerman on this team that could step into that role. So I think it's Alexandrov, 
But in terms of forwards, those three players are going to have their opportunity to get one last impression on Craig Berube. And for what it's worth, Lou tweeted out just a moment ago the practice lines from today, and it's basically what you'd expect. I, I think this is your opening night roster. He's got Buchnevich, Thomas, and Cairo as your top line. Saad, Shin, and Kapanen are the second line, and then it's Vrana, Hayes, and Blay, the line that we've been seeing together for most of the preseason. That's your third line. And then fourth line, as expected, Neighbors, Sonny, and Toropchenko. And then your defensive pairings are Letty and Pareko, Krug and Falk, Scandella and Tucker, interestingly enough, and then Perunovic and Bortuzzo are the two extras as the fourth pairing defensively with your goalies in net, Bennington and Hofer. Basically, the only thing that is left to be determined based on these lines, who is that 13th forward? And I'm totally with you, Alex, because of Alexandrov's ability to play center. I think he's the guy. And because he's limited in terms of his upside, I don't think you feel bad about putting him up in the press box most nights while those other 12 forwards go out there and take the vast majority of the opportunities. Uh, yeah, well, and he can work still with Steve Ott during practices, 100%. be around the centerman to work on faceoffs. I'll tell you the part that's surprising to me on that one, BK, is Perunovic. And, and look, I knew he wasn't going to be a part of that opening night roster, but it, it is wild to me in terms of the development of this guy, if he's healthy, and I think he's played well through preseason, of trying to figure out playing time for him with Krug and Letty in the lineup. And this is why everybody keeps saying, like, oh, there's got to be a trade, there's got to be a trade. I don't think there will be anytime soon, but I don't know how you're getting Scott Perunovich playing time unless an injury pops up, and nobody wants that to happen because that, of course, affects this team overall. So Perunovich is going to be the fascinating one to me uh, for opening night. I do wonder if you do a little bit of load management. Like Scandella and Krug Krug have both had quite a few uh, issues over the last few years when it comes to just injuries. And so maybe for those two guys, because you can kind of – you can find a way to make it work with the PK if you end up having Perunovic in for Scandella for a game here or there, like if it's a back-to-back. But definitely with Krug, if you're going back-to-backs, like maybe you just have Perunovic play one of those games and Krug play the other, and at the end of the yeah. year, it's almost like what you do with your goalies, where Krug ends up with 60 games, Perunovic has like 40, and you just find a way to make that work playing time-wise. If anything, it's going to give him because obviously he signs this one year contract to prove it deal because he's injured through that entry level contract. If anything, you're going to get, you know, maybe 40 games depending on injuries for him. And if he looks good in those 40 games, it's just another year of development where you look at it in the offseason and say, now we can move on from one of these guys in the top four so that Perunovic can play there. But I'm telling you, man, he's going to be the fascinating one to me this this season because how do you balance this this workload for him to make sure that he can stay healthy through a season? Because if he's only playing 10, 15 games this year, BK, and you think he can get through in, or healthy through a season, but then the first time you put him there for a long stretch of games and he doesn't stay healthy, well, now you've put yourself up a, up a creek without a paddle. So uh, he's going to be very fascinating to me. That is where the Blues are at in terms of their decision-making. It sure seems like all of the decisions have been made with one that still remains, and that is the final forward. Blues at the Stars tomorrow night, pregame with Alex Ferrario. Coming your way right here in your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including a report that came out yesterday about one team that's trying to add a legitimate number one wide receiver. Feels like we are getting to this way too early in the process. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. 
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. By the way, if you watch over on YouTube, I apologize. We did have some technical difficulties. It was down. It is back up at 101 ESPN STL. You can see my face. You can see T-Bone's face. You can see Alex's beautiful face live from his home out in, uh, I don't know, South County somewhere. Uh, Ty Ridge. Hi, Ridge. Come on. I apologize. I didn't want to see you in the wrong area, and then you end up getting mad at me. This is just a whole thing. You Jefferson know? County, man. I'm the mayor of it around these parts. Well, if you want to check him out, you can see that on YouTube. 101 ESPN STL is where you can go to find it. I was told that he's on there. I don't see him on there. We'll get that figured out eventually. <laughs> but I hear his beautiful voice. Yeah, we've got his voice. That's, That's all, all that, that really matters. All right, so let's get into some NFL quick hitters here. Guys, yesterday, Jordan Schultz, an NFL reporter, went on Twitter and said this about the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers, according to sources, are in the market not only for a receiver, but a top-tier one. What this comes down to is twofold. Number one, they know they don't have enough weapons for Bryce Young. But number two, they believe so much in Bryce Young, the Panthers do, GM Scott Fitter, head coach Frank Reich, that they want to go all-in, double-down this season. They're doing what? (laughs) They're going all in and doubling down this season on who? Bryce Young? The guy that we've all been watching where I watched their offense for the first three weeks and was like, "Uh uh-oh. Then I watched it again whenever they had Andy Dalton out there, and I was like, oh, this looks like a really solid offense. I'm confused. They're 0-4. They're terrible. (laughs) This is the worst team (laughs) in the worst division in the NFL. That's the team that is going all in right now? Dude, when Andy Dalton was in there against the Seattle uh, Seahawks, he threw for 360 yards. Yeah, anybody can do that against Seattle. Yeah, How about true. against Minnesota? The other worst defense in the NFL. Bryce Young threw for 200, and it was his best game of the year. This is nonsense. Do not do this, Carolina. It is not worth it. It is not smart. If you want to do this in the offseason, by all means, go ahead. But you don't need to be outbidding teams at the deadline this year for, like, Mike Evans to try to really go for it in the uh, NFC South. That would be very far uh, short-sighted in their decision-making process. Look, if you're going to send it for Carolina, send it on the offensive line. He's been sacked 11 times in three games. I don't think he needs weapons to throw to. I think he needs weapons to actually keep him on his feet so he can find a receiver to throw to. I could go through teams in the NFL, BK, and like you look at it and say, yeah, that guy needs a little help with in terms of weapons. Like Mac Jones needs a little help with some weapons out there. Maybe Jacoby Myers and Juju Smith isn't the best options for them. Uh, but if I'm going to send it for Bryce Young, I'm going to go out there and find some really good offensive line for him rather than sit here and act like Mike Evans is going to make this team a, a Super Bowl contender. Bryce Young doesn't look that good. Yeah, I'm with you guys. It, and I was the highest one on Bryce Young coming out of the draft. I'm still high on him. Are granted, you? Yeah, granted, You're just it's still high. And, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still That's it's falling true. though. But I, 
this is not the time to do it. You've got to see positive steps in the right direction for Bryce Young before you make that acquisition of that top wide receiver. That's why the Bears elected to do that this year by getting DJ Moore. Why? Because they said, oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Let's go out and add weapons. And now they look at that and regret it. Now, for Bryce Young, they still have to see a lot more before they can go out and start putting in serious assets into this offense. For Bryce Young, he's not there yet. He may never get there. And that's why they can't do this right now. All right, next thing up, let's stick with the quarterback uh, play across the NFL. From somebody who's been horrible thus far to somebody that's been great relative to expectations, T-Bone hated Bryce Purdy. All offseason, all he said was, you think that I'm going to pick the 49ers to win that division? With Brock. I say Bryce. Yeah. Brock Purdy. Uh, <laughs> sorry about Bryce Young, but the whole thing. I still feel the effects of yesterday getting electrocuted. So Brock Purdy so far this year has been averaging nine yards per attempt. He's thrown for more than a thousand yards in the first four games. And Kyle Shanahan said the following about Brock Purdy. Quote, the poise, the competitor, everything he is, it's all real. To me, this was the game where I said, all right, this is a dude that you can trust, end quote. That came from Kyle Shanahan, who is notoriously surly when it comes to his quarterback play. Alex, are you ready to believe in Brock Purdy as a legitimate franchise-level quarterback that can be considered a top 10-ish quarterback moving forward for the 49ers? Yeah, I think Tanner is high in terms of think not dropping a stock on Bryce Young, but not believing in Brock Purdy. I mean, the dude has shown you everything possible that he's a capable quarterback of winning a Super Bowl. Like, he took him there last year in the last draw minute. And I understand the 49ers have incredible weapons. They've got McCaffrey. They've got Samuel, Ayuk, George Kittle. Great offensive line. But the decision-making of Brock Purdy when he gets under pressure, the throws that he makes, his ability to run out of the pocket and actually create something from nothing, I've seen that with other quarterbacks that have weapons, and it doesn't look as good. So, yeah, if Brock Purdy was in Carolina, we wouldn't be talking about this. But Brock Purdy has the weapons, he's got Kyle Shanahan, and he's got the smarts for me to look at him and say, yeah, this is a guy that should be considered in the top conversations for the rest of the season. I'm not there yet. I, I got oh, If he plays really well against Dallas and is throwing the ball deep down the field, then yes, I'm in. But there's been times this year where I've watched him and he has missed shots down the field by just a little bit, and he's just a little bit off. And I don't know if that's him so working back Bryce on Young. his time. Well, he can't go deep down the field. He can't see over the O-line. That's why he's got to dump <laughs> it to his running back. Uh, with Brock Purdy, maybe it's the getting everything timing back-wise, learning how to operate his new mechanical arm that he's got attached with that new <laughs> ligament. He plays well against Dallas, and he's taking shots down the field, and it's not just the simple crossing routes to Debo or to Ayuk. Then, then yes, I'll be all in. I think, though, this weekend is the weekend that we see Brock Purdy struggle, and Dallas will have a game plan for him, and they're going to have to get more creative to beat the Dallas Cowboys than just running crossers. Actually, with T-Bone here. Yeah. Oh, come on. I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's like in that mid-tier. Here's the thing. I think all of the following players are definitively better than Brock Purdy. Allen, Rodgers, Lamar, Burrow, Lawrence, Mahomes, Herbert, Hurts, Stafford. I think all of those guys, no doubt about it, like it shouldn't even be arguable, are just flat out better quarterbacks at this point in their respective careers than Brock Purdy is. I think this is the category that I would put Purdy in. Dak, Tua, Goff, Cousins, Carr. He's somewhere in that range of player. Now, any given week, he could be at the top of that list. And if you're at the top of that list, we've seen with a guy like Jared Goff, who has been to Super Bowls, you can go to a Super Bowl with that guy. I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo was with the 49ers. 
Jimmy G went to a Super Bowl with the 49ers. So you don't have to be a legit top 10 quarterback in the league to get there. It just makes it more difficult whenever Brock Purdy starts making money. So that's when this really becomes a compelling conversation to me is after he gets paid. But for right now, while he's on a rookie deal, yeah, I think he's absolutely a guy that you're building around. I do think he's a franchise caliber quarterback, but I think it's more in the vein of a Dak Prescott than it is a Trevor Lawrence. I think that's See, I'm going to be honest. I don't even think he gets paid. I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, you just go through with Brock Purdy for being cost-controlled, and then you know that you can win with whoever quarterback you put in your system, so you'll just move on from that and bring in the next guy. Maybe. Maybe that's the lesson to be learned from what they decided to do with Trey Lance is, hey, we can install any like really solid quarterback here, and we're going to find yep. a way to win. That yep. sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Nobody's really tried it yet. It's working. If anybody can, it would be Kyle Shanahan. I tend to agree with you, T-Bone, because if you miss, you set yourself back five years and everybody's getting fired. But the problem is if you keep Brock Purdy at $40 million a year, you also can't have this current supporting cast around him where you have Christian McCaffrey and you have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. He has the best supporting cast in the NFL. That helps him. He has the best play caller in the NFL, not named Mike McDaniel. That helps him. So there's a lot of infrastructure around him that makes him who he is today, and that will be eliminated the moment that he gets paid big money. But I will say this. If there's one position that will age well across football, it is the quarterback position. And that's why instead of playing the merry-go-round at QB because, oh, look at the supporting cast. We can keep the supporting cast. One, that is just a dangerous game. That's a merry-go-round going 100 miles an hour, and you just pray you hold on and stay on that thing. I think when you're looking at that wide receiver group and, hey, let's keep this core together, those guys are aging, and those guys, you never know when they hit that wall at wide receiver. I mean, look at all the great receivers we've seen recently that just suddenly Oh, I'm not boom, saying you hit keep the wall. them. I'm saying you just have the flexibility to add the next guy. Oh, yeah, like, I'm, you, like, I'm not necessarily fair. saying you have to keep George Kittle for the next 10 years, but find yourself the next number two wide receiver that you can pay $18 million a year to because you're not paying your quarterback $40 million. Yeah. Right? That That's the kind of thing you can do if you don't have your quarterback making Dak Prescott type of money. Yeah, you spend the assets and the money on the talented players, and then you put a capable quarterback in the system with Kyle Shanahan, and I think you find success. That voice you just heard is Alex Ferrario. He's live at home today watching the kiddos. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into a game of more, excuse me, coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to John Denton. How about that? Cardinals Insider for MLB.com. But coming up next, we're getting into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to John Didden here in just a little bit, but right now it's time for questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, let's start with this from the 314. Guys, if you can bring back Jordan Montgomery on a five-year deal worth $125 million, would you sign up for it? I would sign up for it. My 
Secondary question to that, though, is what's my offseason also with that? Like, do I have enough money to go out there and still go after a Sonny Gray or a Yamamoto or whatnot? But I, I would do Sonny it because Gray, he, But if you get five years and $125 million, let's make the assumption that you can't get Snell, Nola, or Yamamoto. Those guys at the top but, tier are now off limits for you. Yeah. Uh, man, it's so tough because, like, he pitches – at least with Texas and in the postseason last night, like a dude who's viewed as a number one, number two. Um, but Montgomery and Gray doesn't give me the same feel that like a, a Yamamoto or a Nola or a Snell and a Gray give me. But I would still do that because I think Montgomery pitches well enough for you that it gives you that top echelon pitcher. I, I would not if it means I'm out on Yamamoto or Snell. Agreed. And, and honestly, Nola. I mean, I don't think Nola's a one either. I think him and Monty are twos, but I, I think you got to get somebody in the top top tier, and I don't think you can settle on. Well, let's have Monty, and if we squint, he's a one because though his numbers show he's a one, he's not a number one. He he just when I look at Montgomery, he's not a guy that I go, holy bleep, you're going to be facing Jordan Montgomery tonight. It is one of those where I look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good pitcher. That's not the guy that has the scare factor in him. He and but, but what if he pitch? But what if he pitches that way the rest of the postseason? I, I still wouldn't do it because, like, it to me, there are always those. I don't know the best way to frame it. He's like, Charlie the, Morton. Yeah, the, Charlie. He's like the kind of the underdog guy that's always like viewed as a two or three. But there's always that one guy, whether it be a position player or a pitcher, that just takes his game up a level for one postseason yeah. run. He's Charlie Morton. He's Nathan Avaldi. He's that like mid-tier number two starter that you really like. And if he's your number two or three guy, you feel great about your rotation. But he shouldn't be number one. Like Charlie Morton's not starting a game one for any of these current Braves teams or any of those previous Tampa Bay Rays teams. That's not his job. His role is to be a number two or three starter for them. Same thing is true for Nathan Avalti. When you had the Red Sox, he wasn't the number one guy, but he pitched like he had. He was capable of being a number one if you needed him to on any given night. That's how I feel about Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery in this market. Neither of them should be your number one pitchers going into this offseason. And maybe I haven't made that clear enough. I don't view Sonny Gray as an ace. I don't. His numbers are that of an ace, but he does not. I, I don't view him as being that. And so going into this offseason, if he comes into next year and he's starting game two of your season, you have now accomplished what you needed to going into this offseason. So I feel the same way about Jordan Montgomery as I do Sonny Gray. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 636. Alex, I find this to be interesting. If the Blues were to be sellers at the trade deadline and are in line for another rough year, Whose seat do you think would be hotter, Doug Armstrong or Craig Berube? Uh, it's going to be Craig Berube's because the coach always goes first. I, I mean, Doug Armstrong's creating this picture of a championship-caliber team, and they'll go, well, the Berube might not match the identity of it. I would say, though, that I, I think Army's seat should be a little warmer than Berube's because Berube has shown the ability to coach up players that probably aren't where they project to play. Like Ivan Barbashev was not supposed to be what he was. Torpchenko has been outperforming some of this. Um, I think the decision-making on the Armstrong side would come under fire if they have those same problems. But in all reality, Barubi's seat's going to get warmer because it always goes to the coach. That's where I'm at, too. I was going to say Barubi, too. I, we kind of, me and Alex talked about this last time you were out just a little bit. The Blues are saying all the right things by there's a sense of urgency to get back to the playoffs, but some of their actions aren't adding up to that. And what I mean by that is 
if there was some urgency, there wouldn't be some of the decision-making that we've seen already on the roster that says this is about development than it is about getting into the postseason. Because if they were truly trying to get into the postseason, I think Richie's on this roster. Um, And that's why, like, I don't know if you can have a sense of urgency to get to the postseason and be like a seller slash buyer at the deadline. You'd have to buy if you get to that deadline at that point. I I think it'd be Bruby because Alex is right. He's a guy that would be the first one to go over Army, and I think Army's got the leeway to do this retool. I think Craig Bruby's evaluation this year is mostly defensively. Like, What are you able to get out of this defensive court? Because right or wrong, Doug Armstrong believes that these players defensively are good enough to get the job done. And if they don't, the fire then goes towards the coach. Again, Uh, right or wrong. I also feel like it's on Thomas and Cairo. Like, if they don't develop into those top-tier players that Armstrong feels they are, then the valuation will be, well, let's see if another coach can bring it in. Colorado did this with Patrick Waugh over to Jared Bednar. Like, Nathan McKinnon was not the Nathan McKinnon we've seen in his first couple of years with Colorado. They went to Jared Bednar, and now he's a superstar. That's going to be another evaluation, fair, unfair. That always goes back to the chicken or the egg thing, too, of like, was he always going to be this player or was he unlocked because they got a new coach? We'll never know, but he is that player now. And uh, that's the victors get to write the history. With Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up next, John Denton is the Cardinals insider for MLB.com. What did he make of Jordan Montgomery's impressive performance last night? Does he think that window is still open for Jordan Montgomery to return to St. Louis? We'll ask John Denton when he joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by John Denton, Cardinals insider, here in just a moment. Want to get his thoughts on what is a massive offseason upcoming for the St. Louis Cardinals, specifically with so many of the pitchers that they're looking at uh, going into the offseason, pitching in this year's postseason. One of those players yesterday was Jordan Montgomery, who absolutely shoved for the Texas Rangers. So we'll get to John Denton coming up here in just a little bit. But Alex, today is one of those days as well where you're going to get a potential opportunity to see some more guys that are basically putting on a show for their new teams next year in this year's postseason. Sonny Gray is on the mound for the uh, Minnesota Twins with the chance to close out that series after two games against the Toronto Blue Jays. You've got Braxton Garrett, who could be a potential trade candidate from the Marlins. He's trying to keep the Marlins alive against the Phillies. And on the other side of that game is Aaron Nola, who's going to be starting for the Phillies and again, trying to close out that series for Philadelphia. Of those three starters, who do you find to be most interesting going into today's games, Alex? I think it's Nola uh, because I'm really curious if what we saw towards the end of the season with the Phillies was just an anomaly and maybe it was a little bit of bad blood because there was no contract extension with Phillies, whatever it might be. I want to see if if he if he is still the top tier pitcher that's available. I think Sonny Gray is exactly who we expect him to be. Braxton Garrett's the same way. But Aaron Nola's performance in the postseason can either go from, yeah, he's a legit number one to uh, maybe we don't want to spend this money because he's only a number two. I, I would say Nola, too, because of what he said. Because of the struggles that he had in the second half this year, and I think he pitched well in his final two games, if I remember correctly, What what's more of Aaron Nola? Was that just a really rough stretch, and then he's figured it out here in the final two starts before getting into the postseason? Or was it 
those two starts were the anomaly, and he's actually been going through some serious struggles because I think we played the cut last week or two weeks ago. Ken Rosenthal said it. You know, his payday depends on this postseason because of those second-half struggles, and I want to see what he looks like against the Miami Martins. He should be able to shove against that offense. That offense stinks. It's not very good, and if he struggles today and the Phillies end up getting – let's say they lose in three games in this wild card series, there's going to be a lot of question marks surrounding Aaron Nolan, his free agency. So I'd say he's the guy I'm keeping an eye on. I, I totally agree with you guys that there's going to be a lot of eyes on, on Nola. He's, he's probably the correct answer here, but let me give the case for the other two guys. So Sonny Gray, I, I think the biggest knock on him right now is, and I heard Randy talking about this earlier today. Um, I know we mentioned it yesterday on the show. The biggest knock on him is how he performs in September and October. Now I can have my qualms with how we look at his Septembers, but Let's set that aside for a second. If we just concede the argument, right? If we just said, you know what? Th- there have been some questions there. This is an opportunity for him to put those to rest. He's going on the mound today with the chance to shut down the Toronto Blue Jays, who have a good lineup. And if he does so, the Twins are moving on, advancing in the postseason for the first time in 18 years. They're doing this at home. You think there's going to be a lot of anticipation for this start today? He's not had this kind of pressure in a long time in a start. Now, I would also add... He performed really well in September as the Twins were battling every single night to try to get to October. So he's already proven a little bit to me that he can handle that pressure, but this is a different level. Going into the postseason, man, there are certain guys that just can't deal with it. I think we should have known earlier than we did that Tyler O'Neill was not a guy that was going to live up to those kinds of expectations. You guys remember what he looked like in the postseason? And I think it was 2020. He, he looked hit for. completely yeah. overmatched, overwhelmed. And that was before he got to the place where it was like any kind of real environment in the crowd. Because that was the COVID year where you were out like in San Diego or something playing these games. Texas, I can't remember where it was exactly. Those cardboard cutouts, they provide a lot of uh, energy to that game. 50% capacity. And he wilted on the vine. So I think you can learn a lot about guys based on how they perform in the postseason. Sonny Gray is one of those players. The other one that I really want to point to, though, Because we talked earlier today about what it would be like if you were able to get somebody that is this year's version of Pablo Lopez. I don't know if Braxton Garrett is up to that level. I think he's like a tier below that. He's like a legit number three starter. I think Braxton Garrett could be a future version of Jordan Montgomery. He's never going to be overwhelming. He's not a guy that has a crazy high strikeout rate. But he has five years of club control remaining. He's a left-handed pitcher that strikes out like basically a batter per inning. He doesn't have great velocity, but it's fine. Everything's just kind of like, okay, he's a really solid pitcher. He's a honestly a classic Cardinal starter. And if he goes out there today and keeps the Marlins alive against a really good Phillies lineup, I think that will show me a little something about what Braxton Garrett is now and what he can be in the future. And I do find him to be a really interesting potential trade candidate for the Cardinals as well. So I, I think there's a case to be made for him too. It, is it better I hate to say this. Is it better if he struggles today? Because if he pitches really well, the Marlins might look at him and go, what, "Can we give rid? Of, can we get rid of that guy?" I don't think so. Okay, because no. like I, 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 can I see. Think, I think the reason why they would trade him is not because they don't view the future for him. It's because they are so deep in their rotation. They, it, it's almost the same conversation we've had about the Mariners is also true about the Marlins, where it's like they need hitting in such a bad way, and they can deal from their position of strength, which is in their rotation. I tend to agree with that but because of what we just said about you know of Sonny Gray of having a guy live up to expectations and pitch in a high profile game in a win or go home in the playoffs where there is more pressure 
I wonder if an organization would look at that and go, okay, he was able to do that. Who did we either A, not see in the postseason pitch well, or B, not see in the postseason at all? And I'm just throwing Perez's name out here because he's the first name that pops in mind because he's dealing with an injury. What do what do we do? Do we keep the guy that we oh, really like? Because press. I know, but I'm just using him as a placeholder here because you don't you're not going to see him in the postseason. Are we going to keep the guy that we saw perform in the postseason because he can pitch at the biggest stage, or is that just a you know that doesn't matter? That's not going to play into our equation at all because I I would view that as meaningful if I'm the Miami Marlins. I, I think the Marlins and Twins are in a different position though. And correct me if you're if, if you think I'm wrong, BK. But like if you're the Marlins. Yeah, you're supposed to be here right now, but like in a couple of years, you expect to be a dominant force, whereas the Twins are trying to go at it now, and the Sonny Gray stands out if he performs in the postseason compared to like if 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 Braxton Garrett struggles, you're going to be still going off of upside, but if he performs, you're still going to be looking at upside. You'll take into consideration, but it's upside with the Marlins in terms of who their best projected p- pitchers are. Yeah, I, I just like if you're looking long-term at it, it's Sandy Alcantara, I think they still still view Max Meyer as somebody that's going to be a part of their future. Yuri Perez is certainly st- uh, part of their future. They've got Jesus Lozardo. They've also got Edward Cabrera. There's your five. And they've still got a few big-time uh, prospects coming through the minors as well. Now, there's a lot of injuries that are going to play into this conversation there. Like Trevor Rogers is a guy that's hurt right now. So is Perez. So is Meyer. So is Sandy Alcantara. And you're probably not trading from that depth if you don't have the belief that they're going to be able to be ready to go by opening day of next year. But if you do have that feeling and you do want to upgrade from some of these guys that are currently in the middle of your lineup, like a Jake Berger and a Brian De La, Cre- De La Cruz, like this lineup needs serious upgrades. And the best way to be able to do that is by trading from your position of strength, which is your rotation. So for, for all of those reasons, if you end up seeing Braxton Garrett go out there and shove, I would almost take the opposite route of you, T-Bone, of saying, hey, let's sell high here. I don't think that long-term he's going to be anything more than a three. And if you're the Marlins, you look at it and you say, hey, we've got a bunch of dudes that project to be ones and twos. Let's trade the guy that's probably going to be capped out of being like Jordan Montgomery light. And let's try to get something of substance for him. Like if you're the if you're the Marlins and you can get, trying to think of what the best package would be from the Cardinals, but maybe it's something like a um, catching prospects, Thomas Sejaci and Burleson. Yeah. Alec Burleson. That's a decent package for you to get back for Braxton Garrett with a ton of controllable years remaining with those guys. That's the kind of thing that maybe they would look at going into this offseason. And if I'm the Cardinals, I'm not trading Donovan. I'm not trading Gorman. I'm not trading uh, my top-level players. So I'm not really taking away a ton from my major league roster while also improving the mid-rotation starter. And now I have more money to spend on that number one guy. And also selling high on some of the prospects that you got in return in this uh, trade deadline. Like, as much as we look at those prospects that they got at this year's trade deadline, and I think you said Sejaci's name in there, um, I look, I look at him and I go, okay, well, what's his position long-term here in St. Louis? And maybe you end up finding one, but like I, I think he's the Brendan – who's the guy they keep comparing him to? They keep saying, well, he's Brendan Donovan-esque. Well, do I need that if I've got Brendan Donovan for however many more years of control he's got left? Can I sell high on Sejaci in a package to help me go get that pitcher that you're talking about? So I, if that's the route you go, I think it's, one, you're doing a good job of keeping all the core players, but two, you're selling on high on some of the pieces that you got at the deadline, and then that can be quickly – help you to revamp this rotation going into next year. 
314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. we got a couple of questions here on this. Guys, if this Marlins pitcher is so only a three, why is he pitching in game two for the Marlins? <laughs> it, it goes back to the injuries that we talked about. Like if Sandy Alcantara was available, Sandy would have been pitching either yesterday or today. Right. Um, so that's a big piece of this. Yuri Perez, if he was available, he would be pitching in one of those first two games. Their, their pitching has broke, and now what they're left to is having Jesus Luzardo pitch in game number one, and they've got a guy who probably best would be utilized in a game three or even honestly in a wild card series, a bullpen type of a role. That's the guy that they have to lean on in game number two, and that's, that's how this goes sometimes, man. You don't love it, but uh, that's, that's what you have to go with. So if they were able to get in return for him, uh, Herrera, Burleson, and... So JC, something like that, maybe a little bit more. Maybe you end up having to give up like a Graceffo in a trade like that. That's a decent package. And somebody else said, guys, you're trying to trade crap for a player who could really help you. I don't think Burleson's crap. I think we here locally have too low of an expectation for a guy that was a previous top 100 prospect that hits from the left side and really started to show something as the season continued to progress. He's got a clear profile. And I do think somebody that loves him is Skip Schumacher. So if he was able to say to the front office, hey, who's the guy that you would like to have from this set of players? I think Burleson might be one of those guys that they're looking for. Well, let's also not point fingers at a team that's using somebody in game two of a playoff and say like, oh, he's, he must not be that good or they're using him in a game two because the Cardinals did use Jose Quintana in game one of their playoff series. He was an ace, though. You know, like... he, he was their ace at the time. <laughs> yeah. And hey, Montgomery, I mean, he. we talked about it earlier. I don't think he's a two. Like, ideally, the Texas Rangers would have him starting game three, but they have Scherzer and, and uh, DeGrom. DeGrom that are injured. Yep. So sometimes you get forced into throwing guys into that spot, and you see how they live up to that to but, that uh, but, pressure. By the way, this but that's is also why you why need you, the depth. Yeah, exactly. Me and me and Alex have the exact same yeah. uh, take <laughs> on this. Like it, the reason why you need to have more than five starters going into next year. And T Bone, this has been your take on why you want Thompson to start out the year as your number six starter is because this happens. Yeah. Look around the playoffs right now. Look at how many teams have star level pitchers that are currently on the IL. Texas has like three of them. Marlins have like three of them that would immediately become your number one starter next year. If they were added onto this roster, you have to go out there and add real tangible depth. So that way next year, when you get to the middle of the season and you've got two guys that are on the IL, you're not bringing up Dakota Hudson and Drew Rom as guys that are starting legitimate games for you again in 2024. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Six four six is the air comfort service X line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario on the show. Did I just do that twice? Just, I'm not going to lie. I, was, I just have a stroke. I was touching buttons. <laughs> There's over a here. lot I going on. I, let's peel back the curtain for a minute. Okay. So Alex is at home today. He's got some stuff going on at home. He needed to be there. So we've been attempting to get it figured out with, the YouTube channel and Zoom and all of these different things. 
The YouTube channel didn't work and his audio didn't work for the first segment. The second segment, we tried to get him back on, but it was cutting out here and there. So we got him back on just the audio feed. Now we're trying to get him on the zoo. We tried calling John Denton. He didn't. He, he's not around. Like there's, there's a lot happening on the show. So if it sounds like it's a little jumbled, that is why everything feels a little out of place today. Are we sure all three of us aren't hooked up to the pregnancy right? simulator right now? Because that's what it feels like. Yeah. So uh, here we are. All right. The good news is, though, both of my kids are, are healthy and alive while I'm hosting a show. So that's a success in my book. As far as you know, at least. All right. Let's get well, to more likely true. to happen. Let's start with this. More likely Mizzou beat LSU this weekend or the Cardinals sign LSU product Aaron Nola he went to Ooh. LSU I think that's true I knew oh. it was Louisiana I don't know if he went to LSU but he's from Louisiana yeah, I'm second guessing myself he did uh-huh. he went to LSU <laughs> hey uh I'm gonna say it's more likely that the Tigers beat LSU uh mostly because I think that offense has legit shot I'm always skeptical when it comes to a top free agent pitcher that the Cardinals actually have success, especially when the Cardinals and like 25 other teams would love to have him as a pitcher for their team. So I'm going to say it's Mizzou beating LSU. I think I'm with you. I think I would say it's more likely Mizzou ends up beating the LSU Tigers than it is for them to sign Nola. And that's not because I don't think they will sign Nola. It's because what Alex said, one, there's going to be a huge bidding war for Aaron Nola. And maybe the Cardinals just say, you know what? Bleep it. The wallet's open. Let's go get Yamamoto. That's the youngest guy on the market and could have Kodai Senga type stuff. Let's go sign him instead of Aaron Nola. I think Mizzou beats LSU this weekend. And so for that reason alone, I'm going to take the Missouri Tigers in this scenario. I think it's just more flat out more likely that uh, Missouri finds a way to take down the Tigers going into the weekend. Alex, what do you got for us, buddy? Fellas, more likely to happen. Scott Perunovich or Tori Kruger on the Blues after this season? Say that again. I'm sorry. More likely to happen. Scott Perunovich or Tori Krug, I'll frame it another way, are on a different team after this season. I think it is more likely they decide to move on from Scott Perunovich. And the reason why I'm going to say that is because it's easier to move on from Scott Perunovich. Um, I just... I find the Tory Krug comments to be meaningful. And the fact that he said, I want to be here. I want to be a part of this community. I want to live in St. Louis. I signed here for a reason. I think it's going to be difficult to A, find a taker for him, and B, to convince him, yeah, you should go ahead and waive your no-trade clause. So I think it's more likely that they move on from Scott Perinovich. I would agree with that because I think you're right. I think it is going to be really tough for them to move Tory Krug and for him to waive the no trade clause. I could see somewhat where maybe you move on from Scott Brunovich. You could put him in a package for something. Don't know how likely that is, but I, I could see where you could get yourself to that point. That's where I'm at as well. I think it is absolutely more likely, and I think the trade is where. It, would your answer have changed if I would have put Nick Luddy's name in place of Tory Krug? Yes. You think that's an easier contract to move on from Nick Luddy's than Tory Krug's? Yeah. Performance-based, like saying both have their best season this year for, for St. Louis? Well, I think if both have their best season for St. Louis, the, the Blues won't want to move on from Scott Perinovich. Like, I think that, or excuse me, from uh, Tory Krug. Yeah. I think the upside for Krug is just flat out higher than the upside for a guy like Nick Letty. Yeah. And the other thing is after this year, Nick Letty only has two years left at four mil a year. They could go ahead and eat 50% of that contract and it wouldn't kill him. Yeah. More likely to happen. 
St. Louis Cardinals add the proper pitching that they need this offseason and earn a bye in next year's postseason. Top two seed. Or they miss the playoffs altogether next year. I'm gonna go the I, I'm gonna go optimistic. I know everybody hates the Cardinals right now, and because of the season that we just came off of, it's gonna be seen as me kissing the boots of John Mosaylock to believe that they're actually gonna go out there and make the necessary moves. And maybe True. that's what it ends up being. Maybe I'm just flat out missing the boat here. I think they're embarrassed. I think they're furious. I think they know what they have to do in order to improve this team going into 2024. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to go out there and make aggressive moves to upgrade the roster. I don't know what those are going to be. I don't know what the actual names are to put into that rotation right now. But I do think they will get the moves done that are necessary. And as I look around the National League right now, I think there's a lot of movement that could take place in this league. The Braves are amazing, but there's only one team that can get a top two seed coming out of the NL East. I don't view the NL West as overly impressive. I think the Cardinals, there is a place for them to be able to get to next year where the Dodgers were this year, win roughly 100 games, and get into the postseason as a top two seed. So I'm going to say it's more likely that they upgrade and end up as a top two seed. Now go ahead and send your text in 314-399-9646 about how much I am a homer. Look, I mean, I know you're a homer and you love kissing the boots of John Mozalak, BK, but I mean, I'm the most pessimistic of the Cardinals on this show. And I would say it's more likely that they get a, a top buy uh, or a top two C with the buy over missing the playoffs because you can't have a same offseason this offseason if you're that ownership group. So and look I, what I it would, takes to get into the yeah. playoffs. You got to win like 86 games and that yeah. gets you in. Do we really yeah, think I, that the Cardinals aren't going to win 86 next year? I mean, maybe maybe people are that pessimistic right now, but I, I'm not. And if they do, it's because the people that they invested in did not work out for them or injuries took place. I don't think it's going to be because of what we said this offseason where they just didn't add enough talent. That's wow. going to happen. I'm actually surprised I'm the pessimistic one on this. I thought maybe me and Alex be holding hands over yeah. here on Pessimistic Sorry, Island. Buddy. But I would actually say more likely they would miss the playoffs. And that's not me saying they're not investing in pitching. But they've not shown the ability to build a team in the John Mosaic era that would earn them a top two buy. That is building a 95-win team in an offseason. Not building a 85 to 90 and then having to add on top of that at the deadline they haven't shown that urgency yet and that's not me saying they're not adding pitching this offseason that's me saying they're settling on adding pitching this offseason adding a couple of twos and maybe sticking with thompson as the five so they can add a little bit of depth to that bullpen that'll build you an 88 to 90 win team that can win you the division but that's not good enough to get you a top two buy and i don't know if they've learned the lesson yet from last year that said you got to build a team to avoid this wild card round because anything can happen. You do make a fair point there. They've won. Do you know how many times? Let me ask this a different way. Since 2005, when they won 100 games, since that year, how many times do you think the Cardinals have won more than 93 games in a season? Feels like a trick question, but um, I'll buy. I'm say two. I know 15 did it because they mm-hmm. won 100. Oh, six and 11 did not. Um, is there anybody else I'm missing that would have been really good? Yes, 13. Yeah. Okay, I thought maybe 13 would have been there. I'll say twice. I think it's 15 and 13. I don't think 14 did it either. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, 2015 and 2013. Last year, they won 93. That was the third best season for the Cardinals since 2005. Yeah. The Cardinals do build to win 90 games. For all of the pushback that they give to fans, and it's it's just flat out true. That's what they have been doing. And from 2016 to 2023, they won basically every single year, somewhere between 86 and 93 games. You could kind of slot them in for that every single season. They have to change. 
And that that is what my my hope, my belief is for the Cardinals is that they know going into this offseason. That's just not good enough. When you build yourself to win 86 to 90 games, the downside of that is if a couple of things go wrong, as we saw this year, you suddenly have a roster that's capable of winning 80. And when you have a roster that's capable of winning 80 games going into the trade deadline, you sell off pieces and then you win 71. And that's where they're at right and, now. And I agree with everything that both of you said. That I think I agree that ownership is embarrassed and I think they are going to be willing to spend money on pitching this offseason. But is it going to be one willing to spend enough to add three starting pitchers, whether that be in just money and in capital? And two, is it going to be in terms of will you be willing to give out a big deal to a top-end free agent? Because I think the thing that they're going to do is they're going to settle on, okay, we're willing to give out the five-year deal to Jordan Montgomery, who's a number two, but we're not willing to give out the seven-year deal to a number one in a Yamamoto or a Blake Snell. That's what lies ahead for them. And... No pressure. I'm so excited. <laughs> Not just what a great offseason. I'm about to lose control. And I like it. Come on, BK. Jump in at some this point. This is the most interesting Cardinals offseason, <laughs> or most interesting St. Louis sports offseason since blank. Is it the Ooh. Blues offseason in 2018? Probably, yes. Yeah. The, the first, if you're going to go off of Cardinals, I, I feel like it's the most exciting offseason for the Cardinals since Albert Pujols left. I don't I think know that's that probably one, true. Was that one exciting? I, I don't remember. What they I don't do think it was season. exciting that in terms of what everybody they... had their butt cheeks clenched. Yeah. Waiting yeah. For what was, we all kind of knew what was coming. Um, but what were they going to so do? There was much change in the organization at that point. TLR's walking away. Albert's gone. And you just don't know what lies ahead. Yeah. So I think in terms of anticipation, maybe that's the right word for it. Probably the most in a decade. I had a great That's yeah. wild. All right. No pressure, Mo. It's it's sad that we got so excited and thought that this past offseason was going to be that way because Mo said that they were going to spend more money. And then, of course, the difference, though, is that was a we want them to go out there and sign somebody. This is a they need to go out there and sign somebody. And then they'll get Sonny Gray and say, we are ready, boys. Yes, Sonny Gray. Trevor Richards. James Trevor Trevor. Trevor Richards. He still pitch. Well, he's hurt. Oh, is he? Tre- Trevor Rogers, excuse me. Trevor oh, I was say, there was a Trevor Richards, but I thought that guy was like in like Wasn't 2014. Wasn't he with the, uh, the Angels back in the day? Oh, I remember him as a Padre. <laughs> Man, we're really Trevor going deep Richards. down. The, they really are going low on pitching this yeah. offseason. This is not going to be a fun offseason, BK. You <laughs> lied to me. Tampa Bay, Miami, Milwaukee, Toronto. Never was San Trevor Diego? Richards back in the day. Oh. Coming up next... Speaking of the offseason, if you as a Cardinals th- fan think that you're alone in the way that your organization operates, oh, baby, just wait <laughs> until you hear what the Seattle Mariners general manager had to say yesterday. Imagine, imagine for a moment if you were a fan of this team and you heard this from your general manager going into the offseason. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Over another locker room right there, they've they've added more than anybody else and you saw where it got them this year. So um, there's more than one way to skin a cat, that's for sure. But, um, you know, going out and getting those big names, people who have done it, people who have been there, um, people who are leaders, people... 
who have shown time and time again that they can be successful in this league is, is definitely going to, you know, would would help this clubhouse, would help this team, maybe help those little things, uh, you know, that we need. That was Seattle Mariners starting uh, catcher Cal Raleigh, who was talking to the media after the Mariners were eliminated from postseason contention alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. Alex, those are some strong words, statements similar to what we have heard here in St. Louis from Wilson Contreras, from Nolan Arenado, from Ollie Marmel talking about how, hey, we need to make a significant investment in this team if we here in St. Louis want to be competing with the likes of the Dodgers or the Braves or the Phillies. Same thing is true, at least in Cal Raleigh's mind, out in Seattle where they're trying to compete with the best division, arguably, in the sport with the Texas Rangers, who he was talking about going head to head with. They've made huge investments into that team. The Houston Astros, that's what he's looking at and saying, Man, I'm looking around with what we got in this clubhouse. It's not good enough right now. Well, yesterday, his general manager met with the media for their version in Seattle of the exit interviews. Now, I want to say this up front. I'm not playing this audio to make you feel like you have it good here in St. Louis with John Mosaloc. However, I am doing it because I think it shows you the mindset of a lot of general managers around Major League Baseball. And it's why I appreciate guys like Dave Dombrowski, who are willing to be legitimately aggressive and try to win every single year. Here's Jerry DePoto on people who are criticizing the Marlins front office, you know, similar to Cal Raleigh, his player, for not spending enough. The narrative has been that we're pushing the patience of a, of a fan base or of our support. We've turned this around in about two and a half years. Uh, and we have now been a contending club for the last three years, made it to a postseason. And, you know, in, in doing so, we have actually signed three of the top 40 contracts in, in baseball over the last two years with Robbie Ray and, and The Rock and with Julio. Our expectations of ourselves are that we continue to do interesting things like that. Some via trade, some via free agency, some via a player that we, you know, developed and promoted through our own organization. But we won't build on a foundation that's not cured, you know. And what we have achieved over the last couple of years is we have built a foundation that we feel like is cured. I feel like that could have been John Mosaloc. I was going to say, I feel like I have PTSD right now here in St. Louis. And he would have been talking about, hey, look at what we've done. We brought in Nolan Arnato. We brought in Paul Goldschmidt. We signed Wilson Contreras. I understand you guys want us to do all of these things, but we also really value the legacy player. So we brought back Yadier Molina for the end of his career. We kept Adam Wainwright to finish out his career here in St. Louis. Oh, boy, that sounded eerily familiar to me. I was going to say, I feel like you just actually gave John Mosellock's press conference that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. That's that's exactly what I felt like we just lived through as Cardinals fans. If you think that's bad, Alex, listen to this next quote from Jerry DePoto. It's even worse. If you go back and you look in a decade, those teams that win 54% of the time always wind up in the postseason, and they more often than not wind up in World Series. You know, so there's your your bigger picture process. Nobody wants to hear the goal this year is we're going to win 54% of the time because sometimes 54% is one year you're going to win 60%, another year you're going to win 50 But over time, that type of mindset gets you there. If what you're doing is focusing year to year on what do we have to do to win the World Series this year, you might be one of the teams that's laying in the mud and can't get up for another decade. 
So we're actually doing the fan base a favor <laughs> and oh, no. asking for their patience to win the World Series while we continue to build a sustainably good roster. That's no, 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 no. Not only did you knuckle down on a 54% winning rate, which 85 wins, but you said we are doing you fans a favor. Oh, my God. I, That's embarrassing. I can't imagine if John Mosella came out and said that to this fan base here in St. Louis. He said basically, hey, we want to average 87 wins per year. In other words, he is telling his fans in Seattle, we want to be the Cardinals. What the Cardinals have done since 2015, that's what we want. We want to sign up for that. Meanwhile, here in St. Louis, we're saying that is a failure. (laughs) What we have Uh, done since 2015, get out of that model because it is clearly not working. And so I say all of that to say this, Alex, I think there is an epidemic of general managers in, I think, sports in general right now, but especially in Major League Baseball that are feeling that. That are saying, hey, if we can get to 88 wins every year, man, just get our chance to get into the postseason. The playoffs are so random. We'll find a way to get through. And the truth of the matter is when you build that way, dude, you build a team that can't get through October. There is a certain style of a team that can succeed once you get there. And yeah, there's the one off here and there where it's like, whoa. That was weird how that team won the World Series. But more often than not, you look back, you try to reverse engineer how these teams are built. Man, they've got stud pitching at the front end. They've built some stud position players, either through the draft and develop model or through going out and signing just these bashers that are in the middle of your lineup. And then you've got this lockdown bullpen that either costs you big time money or big time assets in terms of getting them into your system. So, yeah, you can go about it this way and kind of, try to find the the pieces on the the tertiary uh roster and maybe change over a couple of things here and there or you can start competing with the big boys man you can go out there and do what the phillies have done they get kyle schwarber they get bryce harper they go out there and they sign trey turner that's what the big boys are doing right now the dodgers are going to go do that this offseason if you want to play in those waters with the astros with the rangers with the dodgers with the phillies with the braves Man, it's a different game that's being played out there right now than what the Mariners are trying to do and what the Cardinals had been trying to do. I'm, I'm still baffled by the, the phrase, we are doing you fans a favor. That, that to me, is just absurd. But here's the thing. If you're focusing on that, and this has always been the issue for Cardinals fans with John Mose, like if you're focusing on just getting in and anything happens, that means you're just focusing on skimming through the regular season and hoping you get the bare minimum or the bare maximum, I guess, from your team so that you get into the postseason. But you know what that means? That means you're a regular season team and you're not a postseason team. And when you're a postseason team, you know you're going to fly through the regular season and have success because your roster is built that way. But you've built a roster so that when you get to the postseason, it can last the distance like the Atlanta Braves have done, like the Philadelphia Phillies have done. And, and I do believe... At least in St. Louis, I, I and it would only be off of truth serum if we were able to like ask John Mozeliak. But it one, I wonder if the the ownership group feels like, well, we did it in 2011, so we can do it again. We just got in, and then we went on a run, and magic happened. I think that's it, if you got every general manager around the league to answer that question, what do you need to do in order to win the World Series? I think most of them would give you something along those lines of just get in. Yeah. I don't care how you, I don't care what you are. If you're a wild card team, if you're the number one seed, I don't care about the regular season record. Find a way to get in. And I think most general managers across Major League Baseball would tell you every team, once you get in, have roughly the same type of chance.
chance to be able to win the win the tournament. And that's BS. I mean, that was 12 years ago in St. Louis where teams now have been the dominant force of the ones that seems to make their stride through. But the other factor in all of this, BK, and why Topoto is saying this, is I do think a lot of general managers fall victim to looking at their their division and saying, well, we only need 85 wins to get in. Look at our look at the people that we're competing with in our division. The Cardinals did that for so long where, well, Milwaukee's not that big of a juggernaut. Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are rebuilding. So really, it's just us and Milwaukee. And now I think Jerry Depoto's feeling that way where it's like, hey, we're doing you a favor. For the next 10 years, we're going to reign supreme in our division because we built it this way where other teams are spending money. So... You could thank me in 10 years when we just get into the playoffs every year and get bounced in the wild card. Two things for for me. I One, that third wild card is allowing this kind of behavior to happen in, in Major League Baseball because building an 88-87 yep. win team, when there was only one wild card, you're out. You're not going to make it. Now that there's three wild cards, it makes it easy. And that's why like I know like baseball and the whole push and why everybody supported the wild card expansion was – all about, oh, well, more markets are in it. Yeah, but now more markets can build for less wins, and that's yep. bad for the game of baseball. Now, on the Mariners' front, to the point of building to that 88-win mark, and, hey, if you just get in, anything can happen. Well, one, typically those teams that do win, like those 87, 88 wins, like the 06 Cardinals, the 11 Cardinals, for whatever reason, something went awry in the regular season. Maybe it's injuries that really set that team back, or one guy just happens to get hot. That happens like once like every last 10 year's years. Phillies, who when you look back, you're like, oh, they were top five in payroll yeah, and had right. a super but weird it, start to the season and some big time injuries. Like, I think okay, the Phillies cool. and the and, or Washington in 2019. Yeah. And the Phillies to the to the point of them. The only reason I think they get to the point they were last year to the World Series is one. I do think they were a better team than the Padres, but they were not a better team than the Braves. The Braves were dealing with injuries at that point. Well, that's point. the randomness that general managers yeah. will tell you about. But the other thing, I I don't think it was random that the Phillies were the one that took advantage of it. I think the Phillies put themselves in position to be able to be that team. If they didn't have Bryce Harper, if they didn't have Aaron Nola and another number one level starter in Zach Wheeler, who they went out and gave $100 million to, then they wouldn't have been able to take advantage of what was a downtrodden Atlanta Braves team compared to what we were expecting going into the playoffs. If, I don't know, uh, this year's version of the Brewers were to run into that Atlanta Braves team, I don't think they have what it takes to be able to beat them head-to-head. If this year's versions of the Marlins went up against that year's uh, Atlanta Braves team, again, I don't think they would have what it takes to beat them. And the reason why is because they're not constructed well enough. They were not aggressive enough to go out there and win that kind of a series. I do think there is a requisite level of talent, a requisite level of investment that is necessary to win once you get into the postseason. And I don't think that the Mariners had it yet. I don't think that the Cardinals have had that in recent years. And I think that is what that is what's led to both of those teams not having the postseason success that the Dodgers, that the Braves, that the Phillies have had. It requires a lot of investment. And I think the thing that changed on the Cardinals is what it takes to win in October, too. I think yep. the, the model changed to win in October. Since 20, what would I say, 2015 maybe would be the year that I would probably circle. 15, 14, somewhere in that range. What became the model to win in the postseason? You've got a slug, baby slug, and you've got to just miss bats. I think we're in the year, I think we're in the era of the super team. I think the Cubs in 2016 were the beginning of that. The Royals in 2015 were the last of a certain style of team that won the World Series. The Royals were in that vein. I think some of, I think the Cardinals, honestly, were in that vein where 
they were really good teams, don't get me wrong, but they were flawed, and they found a way to get to and win the World Series. I, I don't know that you've seen something like that since. I think <laughs> maybe the one-off would have been the Braves team that ended up doing it, but other than that, man, look at the teams that have won the World Series in recent years and do an honest assessment of them versus the Cardinals, the Mariners, whoever, that ended up falling short. You'll probably find that that team was just flat-out better from top to bottom. And I also, first of all, I think Timo nailed it with the wild card, that being bad. But I also think Tampa Bay, now Tampa Bay's never won it, but Tampa Bay hasn't been great for baseball either in terms of other teams look at it and say, well, we don't need to be spending to the top echelon of dollars and bringing all this talent because we just need to develop properly and spend less on the talent. And if we get in, we could go on a run. We just got to be dominant. I think that's been bad for baseball too. I think the thing that people fall short with with the Rays is that you have to go all in on that model. If you're going to try to be the Rays, you have to trade talent every single year, man. Think about all the pitchers that they have sent out of there because they were like, ah, we got two years left to club control. Time to start this bad boy over. That's what they do with everybody. And so they keep cycling through these guys to keep the constant churn of talent inside of their organization. They almost never pay guys. There's like one or two guys that they'll identify from their core and say, we're keeping you long term. Everybody else is replaceable in the Tampa Bay Rays system. And then they go out to the free agent market and they every year, it's like clockwork, find one guy. That they're like, we're betting on that. We're betting on Zach Eflin. We're betting on Michael Walker. We're betting on this year's version of a number four or five starter that maybe has some flexibility in the bullpen that can give us 100 innings, and he's going to give us a sub-3-5 ERA. And they get it right every single time. If you're willing to do all of the things that I just mentioned, yeah, you can take the Tampa Bay Rays model. The problem is nobody's actually willing to go that far. Yeah, People are like, we'll take doing pieces the yeah. of the Rays model. We'll trade away a couple of our guys. We'll keep most of them internally. We'll spend some money, but not a ton of money. And now you're just half-assing both models. You're halfway into where the Phillies are at, halfway into where the Rays are at, trying to come out somewhere in between. And that's and what how you Boston get is an 88-win team. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's cool. You're trading Mookie Betts, but you're keeping around Trevor Story? That doesn't make any sense. That's not a move that the Rays would ever make. So you end up just falling short of both models, and now you fall into that category of being a team that nobody cares about. You're an 85-88 to win team that falls just short of the playoffs every single year, and now you're sitting at home in October waiting and wondering, why doesn't what we do work? Why can't we be what the Rays are? And you continue to live in denial thinking like, well, this is a model that works. And if we get in, we'll be successful with it, where you need to start changing your your frame of thinking. All right. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer. Having a little more positivity here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, let's dive into the junk drawer with Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. Alex, what do you got for us, man? All right, fellas, I had a moment yesterday at the grocery store, and I need a ruling. I, I need a ruling. Am I yeah, a jerk? you're in the wrong. No, 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 no. Hold on, okay? Am I a jerk or am I not a jerk? So we've all shopped at, at Aldi's before, right? Yes. Yep. We know we know the Aldi's model of you don't leave the carts in the parking lot, so you got to put a quarter in to get the cart, and when you put the cart back, you get a quarter. Sure. So I'm grocery shopping yesterday with my two girls. I get them loaded into the car. I put my groceries away. I walk back to the uh the shopping cart area to put it back to get my quarter 
and I look and there's two other carts that are sitting there not connected to the rest. So I connect my cart to get my quarter and then I just push the other two carts in with the group so that I take that quarter. And then a person walks up behind me and goes, well, that cart was left out so that we could take it if we don't have quarters. And I looked at her and I said, oh, my apologies. I just assumed somebody was in a rush, forgot to put it back. I was just putting it back to get the quarter. Sure. And this lady looked at me like I just robbed a bank. Like, no joke, over a quarter. I even told her, I said, well, here you go. Here's my quarter. Go okay. for it. I, let me stop you there. I thought that you were just going to continue along and say, like, yeah, so I left, and that was the end of the story. <laughs> and they're going to be like, sucks like, to suck. Just uh-huh. give her the quarter, man. Like, we can well, fix I- this very easily by you giving her the quarter that you just pulled out of the cart that she was looking for because she didn't have a quarter. Well, well I like did. A super simple fix. Uh, it is. But my, my, my issue with all of this is what if I wasn't that person that didn't give her the quarter? If I was the person that just walked away, I'm not in the wrong. You went to Aldi's. You knew what the rule was. Have a quarter with you if you want a grocery cart. You don't just walk up to somebody. Well, the free cart was there, so I get to use it. That, is that even so a rule I- to follow? What? The, oh, leave a cart out in case someone doesn't have a quarter. Is that I, a thing? I think some people do that. It. It is certainly not something that is necessary. I, I think people are just lazy most of the time and don't exactly. don't put it back all yeah. the way. I think that's what really happened here. I think Alex is correct. We've got a few people on the text line that are saying something about you are the jerk, Alex. What? I, I totally disagree. If Alex offered the quarter. Now, if Alex did not offer the quarter, I would be crushing him right now because that's ridiculous. Like, that's I don't even the way think it has anything this to work. It doesn't have anything to do with the quarter. It's about this person who got so offended that I pushed the carts back where they were supposed to go that I was the jerk. Where it's like, you showed up with no quarter expecting carts to be here. I Nobody will say, just you seem that. to have more issues at a grocery store than anybody I've ever met. I, that is true. It feels like I, every time you go, and it's not your kids. Your kids seem to be great every time oh, you go. Great. Yeah. It's you that seems to be the problem. I just... I bleeping hate grocery shopping, and I just don't understand why people make bigger issues out of grocery shopping than what it needs to be. This individual looked at me like I seriously punched her in the face because she didn't get a cart for free. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't understand what the problem is. The cart wasn't supposed to be sitting here. Did you expect free carts to just be floating around at Aldi's? That's because okay. if that's the case, go to Schnucks. They've got free, free carts. Aldi's, you have to pay for the cart. I was like, what just happened? So I have gone to Aldi before where I do not have a quarter with me. And I'm like, Same. damn it. Yep. And I just go down to the next grocery store and I'm like, it's fine. Or I take a dollar. <laughs> so into, away, fine. I take a dollar into the attendant and say, hey, can I get change for this one dollar? And they give me this is the crazy part, BK, four quarters so I could go put one in the grocery cart. Like what the bleep is going on right now? The best part about it is I got a two and a one year old who I get back in the car and daddy just vents to him for the next 15 minutes while oh, he drives sure. home. Yeah. And they just These give girls, you that blank stare. Oh, yeah. No, they, they typically, Adelaide laughs at me now and she said, ha daddy funny. And I said, thanks, baby. That's what I appreciate. From the 618. <laughs> Alex, you are not the cart police. Just let it go, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's what I'm saying. I was putting the cart back and I said, well, at least it's here. Hey, I, Plus, From the old so- pimp daddy beard company. Take care of your own cart. Don't worry about the other ones. You're not huh. the one that's getting paid to handle those carts, Alex. See, I'm actually, I'm actually happy that he handled the cart, you know, because if it were a windy day and this car's just sitting out there free and easy, and the wind takes it and it slams into my car, I would be upset. From the 618, Alex, you're a jerk. Why don't you just let the random cart stay there? Don't take the quarter. 
How am I a jerk? I was putting it back where it came from. Somebody else. Alex, why don't you put it back and then leave the quarter on it so that way in case anybody needs a quarter, they've got it right there. Mm, maybe that was the move. Point. Maybe but that was the, the move. Leaving the quarter on the cart so that was you're passing along the good deed of you putting it back. That's a good one, but the only reason I didn't was because it was two cards deep. So you had to pay to get the one card so that you could get the other free card. That's the reason I took the quarter out. Now, I should have just put it into the back one, but instead I was like, okay, it's a quarter. And then the lady walked up and was offended, and I'm like, well, here you go. And again, like I feel like she was going to call the cops on me. I, I, I don't get how I'm the jerk. I was being kind. This is why I hate grocery shopping. From the 636, and we'll end it on this. Alex, you're my dude, man. Bleep them lazy and cheap people. Yeah! <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Coming up next, today's basically like speed dating for the Cardinals. Ooh. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch, too. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sonny Gray, most strikeouts via the breaking ball this year, fifth on the list. He's a legitimate ace right now. You know, I mean, Sonny Gray, again, I talk about fastball command because we just don't see it in our game very much. But, I mean, he, he dots at arm sides. He gets the glove side easy. He's got a field to spin a breaking ball, and he can do it multiple ways. I mean, he's an exceptional athlete, fields his position well. He's just a complete pitcher. And he can tell right now, Matty, he's rolling with confidence. MLB Network earlier in the season talking about Sonny Gray as a quote legitimate ace in quote Alex I disagree with that I don't think Sonny Gray is an ace by anybody's metrics other than just simply by looking at ERA but he's a legitimate number two starter and if you have him going in a game two you're in a really good spot that being said today is like speed dating for the Cardinals they're going to be able to get an opportunity to watch some of their potential offseason targets back to back in today's games so at 330 you got Sonny Gray going up against that talented Blue Jays lineup. And then coming up at 7 o'clock, you got Braxton Garrett lined up head-to-head -head against Aaron Nola in what could be an elimination game between the Marlins and the Phillies. Alex, what do you expect this to be like? First of all, I, I love the wild card around this specific aspect of it. I love the fact that we get games that start at 2, 3.30, yeah. 6, and 7. That yeah. is awesome. And it's something that I think has been a great boon for Major League Baseball with the inclusion of an extra playoff team. I don't know that we needed the extra playoff team, but yeah, this boo. part of it, I really <laughs> enjoy. How much are you looking forward to the speed dating session that we're about to get for the Cardinals? Well, first of all, poor Cardinals fans, because John Mozalak is going to hear that audio cut from MLB Network talking about Gray being an ace, and welcome to your only offseason move, Cardinals fans. Um, here's what I'm expecting today. John Mozalak and Michael Gersh sitting together in the front office, one's in scuba gear, one's in snorkel gear, sure. and they're looking at each other saying, which one are we going for, boys? What's the scuba and what's the snorkel today? Scuba is you're going deep diving, so right, you're going like, is that you're no going one? up. You're going the big fish. You're going big fish. Snell, Nola, Yamamoto, those guys. Snorkeling is Braxton, hey, Braxton Garrett. Garrett. Welcome to our <laughs> yeah. number one pitcher. Sonny Gray's the ace. That's what the snorkel gear is. But have you ever watched the show 90 Day Fiance, BK? Yeah. That's what this is. 
it, only it's like 30 day fiance where the Cardinals get to flirt and get to be engaged to one of these pitchers, meaning, hey, we love these guys. We'll spend the money on them. And then when those 30 days are up, whether they get eliminated from the postseason or they go deep into the postseason, it'll be, yep, I'm ready to give you the ring or nope, let's leave you at the curb because we're not bringing you home to meet mom and dad. That's what this playoff series is right now for all of those guys. And if Gray goes deep, if Nola goes deep, if Braxton goes deep, I probably should stop using the phrase going deep. These three guys, if they impress, you're going to be at the position if you're John Mosaic where you say, Gershi, put the scuba gear on, my man, because we are going for these big fish. You know that uh, that meme with Wolverine where he's sitting in bed, he's laying down in bed, yeah. and he's got the picture that's yeah, you with Nick somebody's Ritchie. face yes. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was that Mo yesterday with Jordan Montgomery? Yeah. Just, just yeah. like hoping and waiting and believing like, hey. Yeah, man, if we could just get one more opportunity with you. I know yeah. last Sarah time McCle- around this didn't work, but this time around, I'm going to be different. Yeah. I'm Mo- going to make sure that our relationship works this time around. Mo's radio in his room was blasting boys to men end of the road. <laughs> um, and his wife was like, John, turn down the music. Shut up, honey. I'm listening to boys to men and looking at Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> That's what that was. He's, he's saying what a picture. He said, I'll be better this time. I promise. I won't let you go. This This won't be the end of the road. This is really morbid, but I'm going to read the text anyways from the 618. The Mets must have been on that Ocean Gate thing this year. It blew up quick. Rest in peace. Oh, come on. Wow. (laughs) Unnecessary. The Cardinals are going scuba diving, but hopefully they're not a part of something that's going to implode. That's, wow. Well, Too I mean, soon. you heard the MLB Network cut of Sonny Gray being an ace, right? Yeah, I, there's the implosion can, for can you. Can I be honest? The only guy I think I'm like speed dating with this tonight in these matchups is Aaron Nola. You're not speed dating with uh, no, Sonny Gray? Like, I think I know what Sonny Gray is like. Unless but we don't get... know in the playoffs. Yeah, he's not good in the playoffs. Sure, Remember, that's what I, we've been told. I will like. I, I don't agree with the criticism of Sonny Gray in terms of like what he's been in the postseason. I don't agree with that at all. I, I am genuinely curious what it looks like. Like he hasn't been in the playoffs in, what, five years? It's been a really long time since we've seen Sonny Gray pitch in this kind of a setting. And I think he's a better pitcher today than he was early on in his career. So it, it's not so much a question of, like, is he going to fail spectacularly for me? I'm wondering about the upside. What what does it look like when Sonny Gray is in the playoffs? And can he be that big game type of a pitcher the way that we just saw Jordan Montgomery has the ability to, the way that we have seen in the past, Nathan Ovaldi can, Charlie Morton can. Can he be that guy for the Cardinals rotation? See, and I guess the reason that I'm not as because like, uh, I am going to be paying attention to what Sonny Gray does, but like if he has a bad outing, like three and a thirds, and gives up four or five earned runs, I mean, just a t- I'm, it's one game. I was what I would say is the Agreed. thing to watch. Now, the reason that you may be saying, well, why would you have a different reaction if Nola has a tough outing? One, it's against a worse offense in the Miami Marlins than compared to going up against Toronto. And, and two, unlike Sonny Gray, who pitched really well all year, and if you look at hit back of his baseball card, he's been really good over the last handful of years. Aaron Nola's been good over the last handful of years, but his second half was bad. It was bad. And, and it's a, it's the second half. But his postseason has been great. Either. Yeah, and we'll see what the postseason looks like, though. That's that's why he's the guy that I'm speed dating with. Like, But he, he has struggles. been good in the postseason, though. Not if he struggles against Miami. And, and he struggled I, last year. Can I push back against that notion, Alex? I no, don't know that up. he has been great in the postseason. Okay, I think this. Up. I'm being serious, man. I... I think this has become a narrative that has been spun based on what he did against the Cardinals and then one game against Atlanta. In their NLCS and World Series matchups, he was not good. Four and two-thirds against San Diego gave up six earned runs. Four and a third against Houston ended up giving up five runs in that one. Four 
in game uh, game four of that series against Houston and gave up three earned runs. He ended up the 4-9 ERA in the postseason last year. And in the final three games in which he appeared, he had an ERA of 9.7. Nobody here in St. Louis would be talking about that guy as if he was really good last year, if that's what he did here. So I, I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. They lost two of those three games that he started, and it was in part because he did not give them a good start. I like Aaron Nola. You know that, Alex. I, I would be in favor of them signing Nola. I would be scared as hell because of the money and the term that you have to give him and what he's been so far this year. But this idea that Nola's this big game pitcher and that Sonny Gray fails in the big moment, I think it's kind of been started and ended because of one game against the Cardinals, really. I think that's what we're pointing to. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right with that. And I, I just also look at the... I, I don't know. I don't like the narrative of Sonny Gray being bad in the postseason either, Agreed. though. And, and yeah, but I mean, you're right. Like, like, Nola, I did not know those numbers were that abysmal later in the postseason. It is just kind of recency bias where you saw him against St. Louis. 100%. I think and I, I also it. just look at the career of Nola and say, well, the dude has been legit his entire career. Yeah, and I'm not trying to take away from his recent stretch, Nola, because Nola has been an ending zero over the last couple of years. But the, I think the second half kind of raised red alarms of, is it catching up to him? And is that part of the struggles it that really we saw? It really comes down to how much do you value innings? Because if you value innings at a high level, and I understand if you do, I'm I'm the guy that said I, I respect the hell out of what they got this year out of Miles Michaelis because he was able to get to 200 innings. If that's something that you want out of one of your starters that you get this offseason, Aaron Nola should be the top target with a bullet going into this offseason because he is the number one guy that can give that to you. I went back and looked at the last three years, uh, what the free agent pitchers are that are available and what kind of innings they were able to give, what the effectiveness was within those innings. Aaron Ola over the last three years has thrown 580 innings. The second best on the free agent market this offseason is Lucas Giolito at 525. He has pitched 60 more innings than the next best free agent starter this offseason. The dude is an absolute monster when it comes to guzzling up those innings for you. The problem is, in 2021, 4-6 ERA. In 2023, 4-5 ERA. Every other year, much like Miles Michaelis, he's really good for you. Is that the type of effectiveness within those innings that the Cardinals are craving specifically? Or, because they have Michaelis already, do they need to go out there and get somebody that's going to give you 150 to 170 innings that are really damn good? That's the Blake Snell. That's the Sonny Gray. That's one of the, like, Imanaga, those types of guys. I don't know. I don't know where I fall. I, I, I'm really, like, I'm waffling on this, man, because I like Aranola a lot. And I like the idea of having a guy that you can count on to give you six plus innings regularly, but his effectiveness this year, I it's why I'm so fascinated by his postseason. It is something that does concern me a bit. That's why this 90 day fiance life right now, it makes me very nervous because you're going to get to that 90th day and fall in love and then find out that it like uh, 10 years ago, he was a serial killer or something and be like, Oh, how did I not see this one coming? I fell in love with this dude for 90 days. And then you put the snorkel gear back on and convince yourself that Luis Severino is the ace that you needed for your team. Coming up next, what will Luther Burton have to do in order to legitimately get involved in the Heisman candidacy? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alex, before we get to that, though, I did want to ask you about Luther Burden because what he's doing so far this year is nothing short of spectacular. He is the leading wide receiver in the country. I saw a piece earlier today over on um, The Athletic with their straw poll of different writers who they would have their votes for currently for the Heisman. He got exactly one vote in that poll. Alex, what do you think Burden would have to do the rest of the way this year in order to actually become a conversation of being in the Heisman candidacy watch list? What he has done already this season against ranked opponents. So LSU, Georgia, and Kentucky, right? That's the other big one that they that they have that's yeah. a ranked opponent. Those three teams, Luther Burden's got to put up the numbers that he's already put up this season. 100-plus receiving yards, maybe a couple of touchdowns. Best player on the field against Georgia, LSU, and Kentucky. Now you're starting to get those Heisman votes. That's what Devontae Smith was so good at. He performed against every level of competition with Alabama. That's what Luther Burden's going to have to accomplish if you want Heisman votes. Yeah, he's going to have to have big games against LSU this weekend, against Georgia when you play them. And honestly, you probably got to get to the SEC championship game and have a massive game and be part of the reason that your team wins if Luther Burden's going to get Heisman votes. Because as a wide receiver, you're just going to have to put up incredible numbers in a year in which it is a very deep quarterback class that are putting up significant numbers. Think Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix. I mean, even Sanders' kid is going to put up uh, some yeah. solid numbers as well. So he's going to have to have massive performances against some of the top teams in the country. And honestly, what what kind of hurts him is in a down year against in the SEC. So I was just looking this up to find, okay, who are the wide receivers that have received votes for Heisman candidacy over the last decade? Devontae Smith, we know, won it. He ended up with 1,800 yards and 23 touchdowns in his year oh in which God. he was voted as the Heisman. Just an absurd season all around for Makes him. Makes sense. D.D. Westbrook, if you guys remember him with Oklahoma, had uh, Heisman votes, did not end up winning it, wasn't even in the top three that year, but in 2016, got votes, finished with 80 receptions that year for 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns with Oklahoma. And that Oklahoma team, by the way, was really good that season as well, finished the season 11-2 and and won the Sugar Bowl. And then Amari Cooper was the other. Finished third in Heisman voting in 2014, and that season finished with 124 receptions for 1,700 yards and 15 touchdowns. If you're Luther Burden, you need to go for 1,500 plus yards. You need to finish the season with at least an average of a touchdown per game, probably even more than that, and your team needs to win at least 10 games. If you do those things, you can at least get yourself into the conversation, but that is the starting point. And then I think what you guys said about the highlighted games, that's really the most important factor here. You think back to some of those players that I mentioned, they had moments in big games where they became the player that you talked about in the big game for that team. If he's able, Luther Burden is, to go out there this weekend and gets like 200 yards against LSU and then follows that up with a buck 50 against a really good Kentucky defense and then has like a three touchdown performance with 100 yards against Georgia. That's how you start really getting your yourself into that kind of a conversation. What's wild about it, though, is BK, he does all of that. I still think Brady Cook's getting Heisman votes before Luther Burton's getting Heisman votes, right? Like he's got to do it single handedly himself in terms of like a running back in terms of special teams play. Can he get it? Can he get those votes if Brady Cook is the one handing out those plays to him? I think so. 
Yeah, I think so. Because, like, you go back to 2020, it wasn't Mac Jones that that got the votes over Devontae Smith. It was Devontae Smith that ended up getting the Heisman that year. Uh, you but go wasn't back, he special teams player at that it, included in being like the offensive weapon too? Devontae Smith. No, I mean Devontae Smith was just known for what he was doing. Just on dominant. Offense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he he did play special teams, but he had one kick return or one punt gotcha. return this, that year for a touchdown. That's what wanted for him. <laughs> that, that's, that's true. Put him over that the top. He's not wrong. Um, they were like, go, Mac Jones, who? You go back to 2016 and you had Baker that year. So he was a part of the conversation as well when I was talking about Didi as being a part yeah. of um, the Heisman candidacy. But 2014, again, Alabama. Do you guys remember Blake Sims? Oh. Exactly. Great. That was the quarterback that season who put up, by the way, really good numbers. 3,500 yards, 28 touchdowns, 10 picks for a a pretty good Alabama team. But it was Amari Cooper that ended up getting the Heisman candidacy. I'd argue argue Blake Sims was robbed. Robbed (laughs) blind for that. That's ridiculous. Blake Blake Sims Sims ran for 350 yards and seven touchdowns that year as well. What the hell? A really good season by one Blake Sims. Voters are terrible at that. They just messed it up. Uh, I to your point though I, I think it would be burdened because when you think of the Mizzou offense and I think I hate to say this because I always push back on this notion like when it comes to like drafting players like we talk about Logan Brown whoa first round pick hey um, sorry I had to bring him up um but Burden was a five-star recruit yeah that's a good point Brady Cook was yeah. not and that's not like yeah. I hate to use it as like that's the reason no, he's true, gonna though. get some votes he's gotten more name recognition exactly. the dude has chips he's on the emos commercials like I it's silly, but it that stuff does kind of matter. I think for voters, too, we have to remember who's voting for this award, right? It's national writers. And when you have all of these writers that are voting on awards, the Q rating, the, the ability to remember a guy's name, remember who that player was, he was the number one recruit in the country, like that stuff does ultimately play into, okay, remember how much this guy was hyped up to be, and now he's living up to every possible expectation for a Mizzou team that came out of nowhere, and he's the guy, clearly, that's making it all work. Not all these writers are watching Mizzou the way that we are. We know that Brady Cook's playing incredibly well. The guy that's getting the headlines, though, is Luther Burden, and frankly, he's deserving of it. Yeah. By the way, uh, for your Logan Brown blasphemy, he's still a part of the Tampa Bay lineup in their roster. He's just hurt and out indefinitely, so that's why he hasn't been cut yet. You Shocker. Shocker. Brown's hurt. Hmm. Where have I heard that before? I can't uh, I'm with it, you, though. The, really. the name recognition, the five-star recruit, that's what's going to put him in the spot. But again, you've got to be putting up 1,500-plus yards in a season and having close to 20 touchdowns, and that's what's going to get you that spotlight. Coming up next, I'm going to warn you about this. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex and Tanner on BK, you've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're always happy to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. He joins us via the hotline. Kerbs, how you doing today, my man? Brandon, doing well. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So let's talk a little bit about these blues, Kerbs. I want to talk specifically about Yakub Vrana, who looked good once again the other night. He's been productive so far in this preseason, I understand it's just preseason action. You don't want to make too much of that. But he was really good after coming over uh, to the Blues at the end of last year as well. Curbs, when you look at what he can mean for this team on that line with Hayes and Blay, what do you think Verona's ceiling looks like in 2023? 
Well, I think that if he has a productive season, and to me, I think if you got, I think if you got twenty goals out of Verona, maybe a forty to fifty point season, and he's playing predominantly in the third line role, and that's where I would see him being if he's on a line with Hayes and say Sammy Blay. I think that's an extremely productive season and a very good season for him. Um, and, and look, you know, I I agree with you that we don't read too much, in, and, and sometimes I read absolutely nothing into preseason. Huh. Although I do I do think you can see some trends into preseason. The the one trend that you have to like is while there hasn't been a lot of productivity from some guys, he has found a way to be productive, and so. I'm, I'm encouraged by that when it comes to Verona heading into the regular season. One trend, Curbs, that I do like so far through preseason games has been the power play. And you talked about it on the the, the previous broadcast of, you know, the, the successful power plays have those one-timer threats. Do you feel that the Blues have those one-timer threats this season? Well, that's where Verona was on uh, the, the, the right side. Uh, Robert Thomas will be on the left if things go right and, and the, the personnel stay that way, um, I I think you absolutely have to have a one-timer threat. Does it have to be from the top of or from inside both circles? No. Could, could it just be the one? Yeah, look, I mean, look how successful Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals have been forever. Can it be just a threat from the blue line? Yep, it, it, could, it could be that as well. But I just think that in today's game, the scouting is so good, the techniques are so good, the players are so big, the goalies are so athletic that if you stop to dust off the puck and try to wrist it in, or maybe it's a left-handed shot from the left wing and it's got to come across your body and it changes the angle, can you be successful? Yeah, at times. Can you be a top five power play, top eight power play in the league? I don't think so. I think you've got to have a one-time threat. And I like the fact that, well, number one, you see it. Look, guys, we saw a big difference in just how it looked and how quickly that puck was moved with Tory Krug back in the lineup in Columbus. Uh, but you have to have the one timer, and then if so, if you whether it's a Pareko on the left side, a Thomas on the left side, Verona on the right side, Shen, whoever it may be, they've got to be willing to fire the one timer to make it work. Curbs, the fourth line appears to be pretty much set at this point with neighbors Sunquist and Torpchenko. That's what they were using on the ice earlier today. They decided to uh, remove Nick Ritchie from the equation when they released him from his PTO late last week. What do you think about that fourth line with neighbors Sonny and Torp- Torpo? Well, I thought that that is what was the interesting part about the lineup in Columbus is the Blues went into that game with Basically, your 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 third line, a fourth line, a young line with Dean and Bolduc, and then another fourth line. And I think it was to see how this could go and who who it could work with. I think they're definitely favoring uh, those three that you mentioned with Torchenko, Sunquist, and Neighbors. But there's a heck of a battle now between with, with Mackenzie McEachern, with Nathan Walker, with Nikita Alexandrov, and how that all plays out. I don't know how this is going to shake out, Brandon. I, I really don't because I still believe in, you know, something Larry Poe always talked about, and that's asset management. And right now the only player that the Blues have in that whole grouping that could go down to the minor leagues without having to clear waivers is Jake Neighbors. So how does Doug Armstrong and company view their depth at that spot and at that level? 
that's going to determine whether or not they put two of those other three guys on waivers, one, and send Jake down. I don't know how that's all going to shake out, but I think it's going to come down to more philosophically where they think this team is and then how much experience they can get. I know Craig Berube would like to see Jake Neighbors stick. I think Jake obviously would. The organization would. But we'll see how asset management, if it plays a role in it, does play a role in it. And if they end up going that route, Curbs, I, I, like, let's assume that Jake Neighbors is here. I would think Nikita Alexandrov would have the the clearest path to the roster as that 13th forward because of his ability as a center, right? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair thought process there. Uh, Nathan Walker can also play center. I think of those three guys, to me, Nathan Walker is the one that is more willing to engage in whatever is necessary. He kind of a little bit of that bulldog that'll bite you on the ankle, you know, a, a little bit if he needs to. Um, I, I think out of those three, I, I could, you know, I don't know, would Mackenzie McEachern clear waivers with a two-year contract that he's, you know, under? I could see that happening. And that, that's the challenge, Brandon, is, is positionally one, physicality two, and then what are they looking for? Because, and I'm going to take this one step further real quick with, with strategy, but this is critical to that fourth-line philosophy. The St. Louis Blues, when they're at their game, they hold on to the puck, and what you're desperately missing, and it's so clearly missing, with the likes of David Perron now having been gone for over a year and then the loss of Ryan O'Reilly, is those guys might get rubbed off the puck in the offensive zone, but they did an amazing job of going back in to get it. And a lot of times last year, and so far a lot in the preseason, we seem to see a lot of one and done, where you go in and you know a guy gets bumped off the puck and the other team's breaking it out, and you're not getting it back and, and really forcing a turnover and getting that zone time in there. So whichever one of those guys, four, uh, whichever two of those four guys, for example, are best at that part of the game, I've got to think has a better chance to stay because that, that the one and done in the offensive zone, especially from a fourth-line standpoint, just isn't going to be good enough to win these days in the NHL. Let's flip the script on that thing, Curbs, and go to a different position group, the defensemen, because earlier today, uh, Luke Korak tweeted out at practice that Callie Rosen was on a group of guys that weren't that opening night look of potential roster. If the decision comes down to that defenseman that they're going to carry, whether it's Callie Rosen or, or Tyler Tucker, does that come down to roles in terms of Tyler Tucker is that physical penalty kill presence, whereas Callie Rosen is more of the offensive-minded defenseman? I uh, See, to me, Alex, that one comes down simply to Tyler Tucker brings some physicality. I thought he had his best physical game, and I thought he responded really well after it was one of his turnovers that cost a goal in the Columbus game. Yeah, it, th- Those are two very different defensemen on that, and I think the Blues – are going to need that extra bite, especially in that bottom pairing. The defensive questions, much like the one that we were talking about, in my opinion, could come down to the fact of, okay, I, I think it's uh, who are your extra defensemen based on these three guys, Perunovic, Bortuzzo, and Rosen. And then, because I don't know where they view, and I haven't, in all honesty, I haven't talked to the management about where they see Matt Kessel yet. Okay, but you know that you need eight or nine NHL-ready defensemen. All right, but all three of those guys would have to clear waivers, you know, to go down, including Perunovic, because of his time that he spent up on the taxi squad. So, looking at that, guys, I I see one of those three guys getting put on waivers at some point because even if you now 
this is assuming complete health, right? Like we're assuming no injuries change this. If completely healthy and, and you go with two defensemen and you're going with one forward, that's going to dictate who has to clear waivers and not. And are you willing to probably protect your defensive depth more than your forward depth on the fourth line? I think that's a healthier way organizationally to go, but we'll have to wait and see how the team plays it and how this situation. And, and a lot of times, as you guys know, we can speculate and have fun and, and, and prognosticate, but these things sometimes tend to sort themselves out through injury and other situations. If I said I'll take Tyler Tucker and Scott Perunovich along with Nikita Alexandrov as my side of who makes those final three spots on the roster, and I said, Curbs, you get any other combination, which side do you think is more likely? Uh, what do you mean more likely? I, I listen. I, I don't. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I think Nikita Alexandrov. And then, guys, this is just my opinion. This is not me putting sure. words in anybody's mouth or haven't talked to anybody. All right, I want to make that very clear. I think Nikita Alexandrov has got the biggest chance of being claimed of those three guys if you had to put them on waivers, right? So. I think that's important, and I think there's a role that he, he can still grow into in this league. But keep in mind, he's a UFA at the end of the year. And then, you know, the defensive one, man, I could see all three guys getting picked. Uh, so it just, that one's just, I have no idea how to handicap that other than saying it just, you know, if if you think that you're going to be healthy with Tory Krug, you know, I, I think Callie Rosen is like a Swiss Army knife back there. But I, but because you've got the youth of Perunovic and stuff like that versus Cali at 29, you know, I think they're still trying to figure out what they have there. Either way, either way, there's going to be a veteran or two that are going to find themselves on waivers, and that's just simply math in a numbers game, whether it be fair, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know? It also speaks to the depth that they've been able to build up going into the offseason is that other teams might be, pick up a guy that, for you, would be your 24th or 25th player on your roster, and that, that's a good position to be in, all things considered. Hey, Curbs, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. When we talk to you next week, we're talking about real games that, that start to matter uh, for the St. Louis Blues. So looking forward to that, man. Yeah, looking forward to that chat from Dallas, guys, when we're down there. That'll be fantastic. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. You got it. That's Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, joining us as he does each and every Wednesday here on BK and Ferrario. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Alex, you have something to say on that real quick before we get to break? No, I was just, I was just going to mention, for the people that are worried about losing significant players on waivers of these guys, a Cal Foot was just put on waivers by the New Jersey Devils. Ty Smith was put on waivers and other defensemen a couple of days ago. These are all guys that were drafted in the top 15 of the draft in terms of defensemen, you do have the ability to sneak some guys through just the because trying to get teams... Cal Foot. Is that what you're telling me? I looked it up immediately, but the problem is then you got to send another guy through waivers. But hey, you got a 15th overall pick. But no, what I what I two twenty five plays from the right side though. You know, we need lefties. We is need he better than lefties. Tyler Tucker? I'm I mean, asking in all seriousness. Like this I mean, is the drafts... kind of thing that if you're the Blues, you're kind of in that asset management. This is a guy that was a former top 15 pick. You don't get that opportunity very often. My only question is consider? my only question is why is he going through three teams? He was he was traded from totally ta- Tampa to Nashville and then Nashville didn't re-sign him, a team that's trying to rebuild and New Jersey cut him from camp. So those are my only questions. Um I mean draft status would tell you that obviously there are a lot of high expectations for him. Um so so Part of my thought process was this is why guys could sneak through waivers because other teams aren't willing to take on cap and roster spots because of somebody that they didn't have in their organization. And if they claim him, then they got to put him through waivers. 
But the other part of it was, yeah, I mean, look at who is available right now. And if the Blues are questioning all of these guys, you've got another one available to you on waivers. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind with our thoughts on today's games in the Major League Baseball playoffs here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. From 2 to 6 o'clock, you'll be able to join the Fast Lane at a special Military Appreciation Live broadcast. That's for service members, their families, and anybody currently on the Scott Air Force Base. It's going to be a special Fast Lane Military Appreciation Live broadcast tomorrow from 2 to 6 o'clock at the Exchange at Scott Air Force Base. That is all brought to you by Budweiser and Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling. Coming up in 10 minutes, the Fast Lane will take over for us also the rangers will be taking on the tampa bay rays in what is potentially an elimination game for the tampa bay rays did you guys see the attendance yesterday by the way in tampa solid who buddy the worst Are they excited attendance? for playoff baseball I, I apparently not um the worst <laughs> attendance by a team for a postseason game since 1919 there well, were season. There were 19,000 fans yesterday at Tropicana Field. I know they're getting a new stadium there and they're hoping that that's going to alleviate all of these concerns with their attendance. I'm not so sure, man. They're going to end up building the stadium and they're still going to draw 20,000 people because they put it in the exact same place with all of the exact same problems. Sorry. Okay. That was a tangent. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair tangent. They're just excited for Buccaneers football. It just it, it doesn't make any sense what Major League Baseball is doing with them. This is your opportunity to actually get the team in Tampa Bay and you decided, oh, St. Pete. It's great. It's 35 minutes away from everybody. Nobody ends up getting off work at 2 o'clock on a random th- you think they regret the Miami stadium build, too? No, I'm sure it's going well. Um, they want the statue back. Okay. Rangers versus Rays. Rangers have a chance to end that series today. The guys on the mound are Nathan Avaldi and Zach Eflin. Both have been great for their respective teams this year. Alex, what do you got today? It's the Rangers. I mean, look, Zach Eflin has been awesome, but I, I don't know if that I don't know if their offense can handle the pitching for the Texas Rangers like the pitching or the offense is gonna handle Zach Eflin in that one. I just think Texas is just better than Tampa Bay. So I think that one's over today. I think we're going to a game three today. Avaldi's re- really struggled down the stretch for Texas. Now, I have some hesitancy because he's a guy that pitches well in the postseason, but I think his struggles continue. I think Tampa Bay rights the ship, and they force a game three today. Man, I'm right there with you. Uh, we're on the same side of things, which means you should definitely bet on the Rangers in that one, but I do think we'll see a game three. I think that's one of the best series that we've got in the wild card route. Blue Jays versus Twins is every bit as interesting, though. This is the other one that could be really fun to watch. 3.30 on ESPN, Barrios versus Sonny Gray, our guy, Sonny Gray. I think we've adopted him on this show. He's our starting pitcher of choice I think the Twins are going to get it done. I, I'm going to buy into my guy, Sonny Gray, today, getting the job done, giving him six strong innings and shutting things down at the back end of this pin. Alex? 
Man, it's wild, too, because if that center fielder doesn't jump up and catch that ball in the uh, center field yesterday that could have been gone, we might be talking about Toronto potentially closing this one out. Yep. But I'm with you. I'm going to side with Minnesota. I think Sonny Gray uh, is the more elite pitcher in this position, and frankly, Toronto just doesn't have the right vibe right now. See, I think Toronto writes the ship. I would say take Toronto in this one just to force a game three, but I would say take the under in this one too because I think it is going to be game a threes. no because I think the I think the NL series are over tonight. I think the AL ones are going to go to game threes. So that is the next one that we're going to get to is the other National League series. I agree with you. I think this one's going to be over. Diamondbacks versus Brewers. You got Zach Allen on the mound against Freddie Peralta. The mismatch, mismatch to it's say over. the least. I like the Diamondbacks to end this series tonight and to to advance to the NLDS. Yep, I'm the same way. I, that, that one's over. I agree. I think Arizona was the most impressive team yesterday, all around. So I'd say Arizona sweeps Milwaukee. Marlins-Phillies is certainly the headliner here in St. Louis for a million different reasons, but most importantly because Aaron Nola's on the mound. And if he isn't able to get the job done in this game, man, the red alarm bells are going to be blaring here in St. Louis about whether or not you want to give him $120-plus million going into the offseason I think he gets it done. The fact that I am not overly confident in that statement tells you everything you need to know about his struggles down the stretch this year. T-Bone, you think that the Phillies get this thing done as well? Yeah, I think they get it done. I'm not sure where I lean in terms of what Noel's going to look like tonight. I think he's going to look good, but I could see where they have to slug their way through this one because Nola struggles. But I do think they get it done. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how Nola's going to look. That's my wild card here. And, I mean, watch everybody jump off the bandwagon if he struggles, which I understand if they do. But I, I don't trust Braxton Garrett against that type of, of offense with Philly. So I would say Philly gets it done. Games are all coming up here in just a little bit. The fast lane's also going to be coming up here on 101 ESPN in just a moment. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by... Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.